Hi, I'm Linnea Quigley, the number one scream queen. I've been eaten by zombies, impaled on antlers, shower heads through my throat. But the worst thing I've ever had to do is work with Insane Mike on the attack of the Killer Podcast. Good day, mate. Put another strip on the barbie. A dingo ate the baby. That's right, a lot of really bad Australian accents and stereotypes on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oi! Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I am your mate, Insane Mike, and for this show, we are going to be talking about Australian horror films. You know, movies that give real meaning to the phrase, knife, that's not a knife. Now this is a knife. If you are from the land down under and have never heard of the show before, let me tell you all about it. Attack of the Killer Podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends sit around discussing various horror movies. We pick a topic and openly discuss films within that topic. So there will be spoilers. Just to warn you, mate. Okay, I'm done doing the, the voice. Okay, that's it. Okay. Okay, I'm done with the uh, accent. So, <laughs> But I'm not done talking, because guess what? What? We have a Patreon! Dang right we do. That's right! A Patreon! The money from our Patreon goes right back into the show to make the show bigger and better. We have various perks with different levels of donations, including a new video series called Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten List. What the hell is that? Well, you're just going to have to go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP and check it out. And you can check out the different perks. Oh, and while you're there, donate. That's patreon.com backslash A-O-T-K-P. So, thank you for donating for those who do. And uh, everyone else, get on top of that right now. So, uh, if you guys out there um, live in the fine state of Iowa, uh, you can check out Attack of the Killer podcast live. That's right. We will be performing live in Des Moines at Capes Cafe at 6 p.m. on April 21st. Now, it's a free show, so we encourage you all to come check it out. Uh, We encourage some audience participation, so um, it's going to be a good time. So that's April 21st at Capes Cafe. That's 900 Mulberry Street uh, inside the Des Moines Social Club from 6 to 8 p.m. So... And by audience participation, he means buy us coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so there's that. I hope uh, everybody can come. It's free. Come on. What? How many podcasts do you know that do live shows for free? Most of them like charge you an arm and a leg, but we're free. So now we should probably start getting into our topic of Australian uh, horror films, but uh, I can't do that without introducing you first to the podcast crew. Okay, I'm going to have to do the accent one more time. (laughs) 
Alright, this amazing creature can be seen in its natural habitat. Its glorious wingspan stretches over six feet long and has a fondness for plastic trinkets that can either be a robot or a car. Jason Bollinger! <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for listening. Some say this next pos- podcaster is Australian for beer. Ted Good, everybody! Hello. Next stop, she's always wanted a pet bear, but she didn't have the right qualifications. <laughs> Terry Turford! <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and lastly, he keeps trying to throw away his boomerang collection, but it keeps coming back. Brian Clark, everyone! <laughs> wikey, wikey, hands off, Snakey! <laughs> Oh, how's everybody doing? Good, good. And I promise, Great. I promise this will be one of the last three times I'll do the Australian accent. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so before we uh, before we talk about our movies, um, I'm curious to know what's everybody been watching. I've been watching a lot of great stuff, but I will um, let someone else go first. How about you, Brian? Have you seen anything? No, I don't watch things. Whatever. <laughs> I know you watch a lot of stuff because I'm friends with you on Facebook, and, and some of the titles that pop up make me question our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't doubt that. I, um, But this one probably won't make you question anything other than going, duh, of course, that's what he saw. Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. Ooh. It's a lot of fun, and it makes me sad that it kind of got trounced at the box office by opening a week before Ready Player One. That was a bad idea on Legendary's part, since that kind of draws from the same audience. But uh, five years on from the first one and taking place ten years after the first one, the sequel uh, tells the story of Jake Pentecost, Stacker's son, it was uh, Idris Elba in the first one, who comes back to the Yeager program uh, just in time for, like, it's been quiet on the Western Front or on the Pacific Front, uh, as you might say. Uh, there have been no kaiju attacks for 10 years, and he kind of comes back under the fold of the, they're still keeping the program running um, just in case an attack happens again, and sure enough, an attack happens again. Uh, there's a little more robot-on-robot robot violence this time because one of the Jaegers is evil. And uh, I really don't want to spoil anything because some of the little turns it takes are, are pretty neat, but they do uh, they do manage to expand on some stuff that happened in the first one, and, and it's a lot of fun. I know it kind of got panned a little bit. You know, don't go in expecting it to be as great as the first one because that was a Guillermo del Toro movie. But if you just want a fun movie about robots punching monsters and other robots... You'll, you'll have a damn fine time. Go go catch it before it's gone from all the theaters. I saw it and loved it. No, oh, good. I didn't know anyone else here had seen it. Yeah, I, I went and saw it with um, a few friends, and I was surprised. Like, one of my friends didn't didn't enjoy it as much. I'm like, you know, what? I don't get what people expect out of these movies, because, I mean, they're doing what I think what I want out of the Transformers movies, which is you know, fun, giant 
monsters and robots. It's it's uh, except the writing doesn't suck ass like it does in the Transformers. <laughs> exactly, movies. that's what I'm saying. Is like it, it's a good version of of the same idea, but they throw in the monsters. I I think you know I don't like I said I don't know what people expect, but uh, visually it was just awesome. Uh, the you know it was just. I enjoyed my two hours in the theater with it, and it did exactly what I wanted it to do. So, yeah, I, I caught it opening weekend solo, and then took the kids to it last week, and they both really enjoyed it. So I got to see it twice before our theater dropped it. And it's um, it's Del Toro's obviously you know a huge nerd and a monster kid, and and totally one of us. But a lot of the people working on this one must be as well, because there are some pretty deep cut. Uh, little references like uh, the one that I didn't even pick up on, but Scrapper is actually a takeoff on a character called Boss Borat, and instead of Robot, mix the letters around. Very clever. Anyway, from a, a Japanese cartoon called Mazinger Z, which like down to the color scheme is the same. The little roly poly special move is the same. Uh, it was in Mazinger Z, the robot was built in a scrapyard in secret by. A rival of one of the main characters. Um, the scene where the drones turn monstery and attack the base, um, that is lifted straight out of the movie End of Evangelion. And uh, during the the sequence where they're trying to, to match the kaiju silhouette of what they think is, is a, a monster face that was sent to them as a warning message, there's a, a screen down the side that had a whole bunch of different kaiju that they're like trying to match it against the database. And there are shitloads of like Geigen was in there, Batra, the Cloverfield monster. I saw Zegra. Um, I can't wait to freeze frame that sucker on Blu-ray. <laughs> it, it's like the cabin in the woods office pool scene, but for <laughs> kaiju nerds. Right, and when I, 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 like you were saying earlier, you wish more people would go see it, and you think Legendary dropped the ball by putting it out before, like a week, within a week of Ready Player One. But watching this movie and and just hearing you talk about the stuff, I'm not sure it's um, necessarily they weren't so much worried about making money here because the first movie didn't do very well here either, but it did enough overseas and in right. other countries that that you know a sequel got made. So. Yeah, and, and that's true. Legendary is now uh, owned by a largely by a Chinese company, or at least you know like a fifty percent share or something like that. And so the overseas sales are what's going to really you know keep this ball rolling. And but over here, I mean, their audience here is generally kids, and this one is definitely much more of like a young adult movie than the first one was because most of the main characters in this one are like twenty or under, right? With the exception of. Um, John Boyega and Clint Eastwood's fucking creepy clone vat grown son Scott. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that kid looks just like his dad. Um, <laughs> but it opened like Ready Player One opened very close to it overseas too. So from what I've heard, even like in in a lot of the Asian markets, it got trounced because it only had like a week to get the ball rolling before Spielberg squished it. So. Fingers crossed that it does really well in video sales and maybe they'll still make another one because they definitely left it open for, you know, the first one could have, if they never made a second one, the first one would have been a just, you know, a fine standalone thing because it ends and that's the end of it. But this one, they basically flat out say, we're coming to get you, motherfuckers, <laughs> and like leave it wide open for a third one, so...
Yeah, I hope it gets made. So, um, did you have anything else to um, add about Pacific Rim Uprising? No, I'm good. I probably blathered about it long enough. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. Like I, I, like I said, I enjoyed it too, and I hope we get a, a third one. I mean, like I, like I sort of said, it just it did everything I want a Transformers movie to do, but much better. Sorry, Jason. That's but, okay. Um, but speaking of, what did what did you see this week, Jason? Well, I had a chance to uh, watch American Gods on Stars. Anybody see that? I watched the first maybe two episodes and haven't got back to it. That was of the. There was still only one season, right? Yep. I mean, okay. I think they're working on the second. It got renewed for it, but anyway, it's a it's a eight part show on Stars. It's based on a. 2001 novel by Neil Gaiman. Um, it focuses. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, the book's good. Oh yes. I'm not a reader, so I take your word for it. I mean, it has to be. He's he's awesome. Uh, it this focuses on this guy named Shadow Moon, and he meets a strange man named Mister Wednesday after he's released from prison, and soon becomes involved in a large scale conflict between the old gods and the new gods who grow stronger every day it's it's freaking awesome it's got a kick-ass cast mr wednesday is played by ian mcshane who is on deadwood and it's got like crispin glover as like the the main new god and i'm sold Emily Browning's main character. Jillian Anderson's in it, and she plays this awesome character, this awesome god uh, called Media. She's one of the new gods. And every time she's in the show, she uh, takes, she's like, <clears throat> plays a character that we know, like Lucy Ricardo and Marilyn Monroe and David Bowie. David Bowie. And, and Judy Garland. And she fucking nails it. It's like, well, really bad news because she left the show. Yeah. Peter He's not coming back for season two. Peter Stormare and Dane Cook and a whole bunch of other uh, people, but great cast. Dane Cook still alive? <laughs> yes. I, say, I, I liked all of those things you said except for Dane Cook, oh. but I'll still watch it because Mike the and rest I are, of that cast sounds amazing. Mike and I are big fans, so I, I'm always excited to see him doing something real acting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's really good. That's the, I, what I like. It's such a dynamic, vivid, the the videography, the cinematography is just mind-blowing. And um, I, what I like about it most probably is, is the writing and the dialogue is not normal and very <laughs> smart. And I don't know, I just busted it out in a week and I really liked it a lot. I look forward to the second season. Yeah, I like I said, I started watching it, and uh, I really did like the first two episodes, and I just didn't, I don't know, it, it didn't um, instantly latch me on to continue. I think I started watching it, I was watching it as it aired, but, because uh -huh. it's, on, it's on stars, right? Yep. Yeah, so I really don't have an excuse, I have stars, but it just sort of bummed me out when I was reading that the uh, showrunners all left, and a lot of the actors are leaving for season two and i'm hoping that it's st it stays up to that standard 
Yeah, me too. Me too. That's what I got. Any That's what I watched. Yeah. Anybody else watch watch that? No, I've been meaning to get into it, but <clears throat> not yet. Well, what did you watch, Terry? Um, not much horror. <laughs> kind of took a we took a break from recording for a bit, and I caught up on a lot of like Oscar nominees and winners and things like that. But I did watch uh, Santa Clarita Diet season two. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's awesome. Has everyone else watched that? Yes. Or so the first? Fun. Has anyone watched the first that hasn't no. seen the second? No? I haven't seen it. I have not it. watched either, but I've heard good things. It's Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I thought this season was actually better than the first season. That's what I keep hearing. Um, I think, I, think they, I agree with you on that, yeah. I feel like they finally, like, they found that kind of corny groove and they just like laid into it really hard this season and didn't shy away from it um but yeah so i don't want to spoil anything because it's, it's pretty new but a lot of fun for sure i'll say this i'm happy that um what's your name the clerk at the store had a much bigger role this season Oh yeah, she she is super super deadpan and awesome. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so um, if if nobody's or if somebody hasn't even heard of the show, can you sort oh. of uh, explain what the show's about? I know what it's about, but someone. I guess um, it's a Netflix show. So if you have Netflix, it's about the only place to watch it. Um, stars Drew Barrymore and uh, oh fuck brain fart <laughs> Timothy Oliphant thank you Timothy Oliphant who um, I've never been a fan of but I love him in this show oh I love him He's I just awesome. had to throw that in there but this is definitely a different role for him oh for sure for sure but um, basically they are both um, realtors and the the show starts basically somehow drew barrymore's character turns into a zombie and is eating people and they're trying to cover it up while still maintaining their semi-normal lives um in everyone else's eyes so and that's the thing like drew barrymore she's still drew ba she's still who she is retains right, all yeah, her faculties and everything she it's just, very different for a zombie. Yeah. Like it's not your usual um, brainless whatnot. Um, she looks and and talks and acts like she did before she <clears throat> became a zombie, and she doesn't. I mean, she does deteriorate deteriorate a little bit, but not to the point where she has like flesh rotting off of her face and stuff. <laughs> she yeah. just likes eating people. She just yeah. happens to... That's the only thing she can eat. Everything else makes her sick. Oh, and yeah. she just happens to be dead. Okay. That sounds fun. And it's, yeah, really interesting origins. Brian and I were talking about... Because it's... Is it like Norwegian or... Serbian. Serbian, that's right. Oh, yeah. Um, it's really different origin story. And just the whole circumstances around the zombie 
stuff is much different than you're used to, which is nice. It's nice to have a change of pace. And it's not funny. just another chemical spill or, uh, yeah. you know, whatever military experiment gone wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> and the, oh my god, I was so pissed at the end of the season because the cliffhanger is so good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want to wait. Me neither. I felt the same way. shit when that happened. When it ended and I saw that, you know, when it pulls up, like, what's coming next, and it wasn't another episode, I'm like, no! (laughs) (laughs) I sort of wanted to check it out, but um, in this household, my wife has, like, a undying, passionate hatred of Drew Barrymore, so I'd have to watch it on my own. Interesting. Well, she's like a. Where did that come from? <laughs> she's a she's a diehard Tom Green fan. She like uh, read his book. Oh, and that's yeah. He has some not so nice stories about her. So. I'll do it. But that's that shouldn't you know necessarily reflect on how a, whether I want to watch a show or not. So. <laughs> if you want to live, you'll watch it alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're short. You can like watch it on your phone on like breaks at work or something. Are they half-hour episodes? Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, shorter. perfect. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I might have to do that, or, you know, like the half-hour before she gets home from work and just sneak them in. It's like watching <laughs> porn, like, behind her back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wasn't Same watching way. Drew Barrymore. It's cool. That's not what I was doing. Watching Drew blow me more. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But, uh, Mike, what did you see? All right, well, I believe it was last week. Sure. Jason and I went to go see uh, The Strangers Pray at Night. Yeah. And that was great. I really liked it. I mean, it's it's totally different from the the original film, so don't go in expecting the same atmospheric uh, that the first one was. But, man... There's some things in this movie that I fucking loved. I I really enjoyed. Maybe it, they did a little bit too much, but there's certain scenes where I really enjoyed the use of pop of pop music in the scene, like in particular the uh, the the swimming pool scene. Oh yeah, it was freaking awesome. And like, yeah, it's got it's got a lot of great action, and uh, the performances are really good, and it's it's shot beautifully. In this like abandoned uh, trailer park or whatever, but yeah, really liked it. Got a really cool style with the zooms. At first, I'm hesitant, but it sold me. It was super neat. Yeah, gives a little bit more of a of a retroy feel yeah. to it. Did the uh, pickup truck kind of bug you a little bit at the end, or is that just me being picky? What the fact that it. The like, whole scene? This, the fact that it's fucking off. indestructible. That was awesome. Well, well I get what you're... It, that it crashes into multiple things and <laughs> explodes and the headlights aren't even broken. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying, but I just, you know, I can suspend disbelief. If I can watch uh, 10 Friday 13th movies and, and Jason <laughs> keeps coming back, I, I can... Yeah, but you're given a reason for Jason to keep coming back. That pickup wasn't struck by lightning. Just I just I just thought that when the music fucking kicked in and the truck came back, um, life it again, was it was for the 18th it time. was so badass 
Like I didn't care. Yeah, I, I, just, I didn't think about it. I thought it was. I thought it was. You know. Yes, the, like, the logic's out the window when it comes to that truck. But like, I thought visually it looked cool, especially when it was oh, on fire. Yeah. And like, uh, I you know, and I just thought like those scenes were pretty tense. I just love that shot of her walking down the bridge, and that that truck just looks slowly following her from behind. Yeah, so. and, and again, I'm doing the thing where I I focus on the negative stuff. But you know, we Terry and I talked about this a little bit last time we did the rewatching because we went and saw it. Uh, that opening weekend and I, I actually really like the movie i just that that one thing <laughs> bugged the shit out of me yeah i can get that yeah the only thing that bugged me is like i feel like and jason and i argued about this a bit i kind of feel like the father character was was really forced into the script like they felt the need to have to have the father character because once he's dispatched like they don't even talk about him anymore like they they you know the 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 brother and sister they talk about like mom getting killed and stuff, but like when when um when brother meets up with sister, she never she at no point through the rest of the movie she's like oh hey where the hell's dad, you know, it's like dad does doesn't even exist anymore once he's once he's killed off and I kind of felt like in the first act too he he didn't really serve much of a purpose because a lot of it had to do with uh, between the daughter and the mother. And their and their conflict, so so that that was the thing that bugged me. I, I felt like uh, the father character either a didn't need to be there, or b it could have been better written. You know what really bugged me? What that it never came to my fucking theater, so I never got to oh, see it. Damn it! I wondered I if you were gonna go across town, across state. Yeah, it was over, and the closest was Galesburg, a 45-minute drive, and it only lasted there about a week, so. That's crazy, because it, it lasted about two weeks here in Ottawa. Yeah, I don't know. It's There's just a lot coming out recently. We're starting to get into that um, early summer, you know, yep. movie list. There's like three, four new things coming every week, and our theater tends to uh, book those the, a lot of the new religious movies. There's like six of them in the theater right now. <laughs> Mm. So whatever sells, I guess, but bumps me out. Yeah, it sucks. What'd you see? I saw a couple things that I liked. Um, a few weeks ago, I saw uh, Steven Soderbergh's Unsane. Oh shit! Oh shit! Nice. Which was shot entirely on iPhones, which was pretty cool. I uh, I thought I don't know. I I sort of wish I would have gone in not knowing that fact because the whole time you're thinking about I was. That? Yeah, I was like, how how did he get that shot on an iPhone or another shot? I'd be like, well, this would have looked so much better with like a, an actual camera, you know. Yeah. But the uh, the story of the movie sort of lends itself to that. I've heard that he's been saying in meet in the media that like he he might not ever go back to cameras and stick to shooting on iPhones, which I think is crazy because the movie definitely <laughs> looks like it's shot on an iPhone. It's it's cool that you know it costs next to nothing to make. So even with its very limited um, box office return, it did well because yep. it had a ten dollar budget. But I don't know, man. Like, there's only so many. I feel like there's only so many movies that can utilize it, and I don't. I don't see this being like the new wave or anything. It's just like when 
Avatar came out and everybody's like, oh, everything needs to be 3D now. It's like, no, this this is a gimmick that worked for one. It doesn't need to work. You know, you can't keep doing this. But the the story is, basic, is pretty basic. A woman gets uh, checked, committed to a mental institution against her will. And you sort of go along for the ride on whether the stuff she is seeing is actually happening or if it's in her head. And it sort of plays with your mind whether you're you're in her looking from her perspective or your own and it sort of flips back and forth and gives you that uh i don't know that feeling of anxiety it, it I, I thought it was really well done and a neat a simple very simple little um psychological horror i thought the trailer so, was fucking badass it's scary so did that did that one excited. play at your theater nope no that's weird that we got that for like two weeks <laughs> Uh, huh. And the other thing I saw, which is doing fantastic at the box office, was A Quiet Place. Yay! Yeah, I'm bummed. I, I, can't be- I can't believe nobody else on this podcast has seen this because it hit, like, what did it do? Over <coughs> $50 million this yeah. weekend. It took out It oh, took shit. out Ready Player One. It took... It doubled, really? It doubled yeah. Ready Player One. It did... It's already outgrossing Ready Player One. That makes me excited on a couple different levels. Um, well, three different levels. One, the movie looks awesome, so I can't wait to see it. But two, that a horror film just totally just kicks Steven Spielberg's ass. And then three, like a couple friends of ours uh, were writers on the movie, so we're pretty stoked that uh, they're getting some success. Yeah, Mike and I were at a film festival all weekend, so we weren't able to able to get out and see it. But. Yeah. Say so they Brian Woods and Scott Beck hosted a screening in Davenport Saturday, and I guess they were at Film Scene last night. But I think yeah. it was a private screening. Yeah, we got invited to the Sunday. to the one at Film the one at uh, Film Scene, but uh, yeah, I, I got my son back last uh, yesterday, so I wasn't able to go. We we debated on it too. We're just like, ah, we could just be really tired Monday at work. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I. I really wanted to get to that Davenport screening. It sold out in a day, so I didn't make it. But but we went Thursday night, and um, the movie's fantastic. The mo- the uh, you have to be I don't know. I, it might be good that you guys didn't see it this weekend, just because the this movie absolutely depends one hundred percent on an audience behaving, uh-huh. and all it takes all it takes is one person to ruin it, and that person doesn't even have to be intentionally ruining it. If this person is like eats popcorn, they're ruining the fucking movie. It's yeah. it's unbelievable. Like I literally, I mean, if your whole movie's silent and there's someone across the theater who picks up a kernel of popcorn, you're gonna hear. You can hear people's like stomachs. Tur- like you can hear. I, I swear, it's it, the movie is so Most tense and quiet. Oh, yeah, that it's it, exciting. It, yeah, and and it was oh, it's it's so well done, and I mean. To think John Krasinski, like, this is his first movie he's directed, too. He's so fantastic. Um, and and to think that Michael Bay produced this is insane, because it's the, <laughs> it's like, I don't know how he sat through this and wasn't, like, having fits. I mean, it, yeah. it has lo- long, beautiful shots, no noise. <laughs> no helicopters, though. Right, yeah, it's like, a, it's, it's honestly, like, the polar opposite of his films yeah. but it's great no explosions and, uh, yeah what's what's his little um 
production company, something Plat- Plat- Platinum Dunes. Dunes. Yeah, and they they came out basically this weekend and said that you know after this big success, they are looking forward that they're saying no more remakes, no more rebooting franchises. We're on board for original horror. Whoa. Nice. Because I mean, it's just oh, it's just it's so great to see it do huge numbers, unreal. They they were predicting like not even 20 million and it, it it about tripled every everybody's expectations it has a budget of 17 million and it made 50 million in its opening weekend so that's awesome i'm so, so that's, i'm so happy i kind yeah. of assumed it was going to be like that where you're talking about how you know the whole <laughs> thing is so quiet and you have to you know one audience member can ruin it and now that i've found out how well it's done i'm glad i didn't see it opening weekend because the audiences here tend to be shit. <laughs> and so I know some asshole would have pissed me off. So waiting a week or two to see it now, I'm thinking was definitely the right move. Because I'm going to get to see it either in a in a you know much less packed theater. And, and hopefully all the idiots went and saw it the first weekend and aren't going to come back. <laughs> That's a lot of the feedback that I've been hearing. It's like, I'm so, this movie's awesome. I got to watch a movie and it's quiet and didn't have assholes... During the movie, because it wants you to be quiet. It is quiet, you know. It's like everyone was so happy they got to watch a movie in silent theater for a change. I'm going to yeah. have to explain to the kids that now when we go see this, <laughs> we're not going to buy popcorn because yeah. usually we get popcorn, you know. But like, we can't make any noise. This is so... <laughs> no crinkly bags, no crunchy popcorn, no slurpy pop. We're just going to sit and watch the movie. Yeah, like, when we were sitting there waiting for the movie to start, we saw, like, two different groups of people come in with very young kids, and oh. first off, I'm like, yeah, I had, you know, I hadn't seen it yet, so I didn't know how quiet, but I'm like, this this is supposed to be pretty, like, startling movie. Right. You know, it's not, it's PG-13, but it, and it, cause it's it's not gory, but it's, it is very tense, very, very tense, and, uh, and I was like, man, you know, I, not to jump on, like, already a you know, let the kid make some noise before I get pissed at him. But when I saw them come <laughs> in, I'm like, I hope they can stay quiet. And it, the funny thing was, the kids were great. It was some asshole sat directly in front of us who was a fucking Neanderthal idiot that ruined it for me. But uh-huh. I'll go see it again without him. I still enjoyed the movie. It was just like, I've never seen a human being behave this way in, in public. I, <laughs> I was just so disgusted by... I could hear, like, each chew, because he chewed with his <laughs> mouth open. Uh. He he sat in his chair so hard that he knocked my foot off of my own leg, because I sort of had my foot propped up on my knee. And he sat in front of me, he hit Nikki's knees, He uh, he's pretty much had his head resting in her lap, because he leaned back so far. He put his arms up, uh, he was... He had his popcorn in the seat to the right, and he wasn't—he wouldn't, like, let his eyes leave the screen when he grabbed his popcorn, so he'd swing his hand over at his popcorn. And he was hitting the bag of popcorn so hard that people all around him were jumping from the noise. Like, they were... The movie's so tense that, it, like, <laughs> if you hear anything, it's scary. So, like, he would grab the popcorn and people jump because they thought it was part of the movie. It was... Uh, this guy was the worst. I won't waste any more time talking about him because fuck him. But <laughs> let's just... We, we were going to say something, but we were afraid he was mentally challenged. That's how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> He, he farted at least 12 times. Wow. <laughs> and they were like the bubbly farts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that part. 
Yeah. And like we all looked at each other like, is are we really happening? Yeah, like we were waiting for someone to come out and be like, All right, we got you're all on camera. Like you guys are good people for not saying anything, but enjoy the movie now. But that never happened. Oh uh, just awful. So he would never survive in this world because <laughs> the, the, the story's pretty simple. And a family you're like good. Lives, yeah, the, a family lives in this world where these creatures live. That if you make any sound, they they can't see, but they can hear. And if you make any sound, you're fucking dead. So it's interesting to see how these characters adapt to the world um, because every day, everything you do, you know, there's guess what? There's no fucking podcast in this world, oh. and. Um, Mike couldn't survive and, in this one. <laughs> no, I couldn't. And, and what's fascinating about it is, like you said, the, the audience experience. They were promoting it as, you know, go see this in a, in a packed theater. And from everyone else's experiences, that's true because they're saying, you know, for the first time, I, like you said, I sat through a whole silent, like everybody's so tense and into the movie that they're quiet. And if you get that experience and you have a packed theater, that's mind-blowing, you know, and I'm sure that if you experience that, it's awesome. I want to sort of see it at home with headphones on, so like I don't even hear, you know, yeah. the house creaking or mm-hmm. anything. Because it is, it is the sound design on it is fantastic, and it plays on that. Like, you, you when you're in the movie, like I said, it's not it's not so much that you don't want to disturb other people while you're in the theater by eating popcorn, doing something. You almost get so lost in the movie that you're like afraid if you get your popcorn, you're gonna die. Which, which I wish the guy in front of me would have been scared. I think, honestly, he was being so loud because I honestly think he was afraid of, like, getting spooked. Like, because the movie, like, I don't he care how... He didn't want to get into it. Right. Like, like he I don't care how... past the graveyard, except he was... It, oh, absolutely. Farting and munching past the graveyard. <laughs> right. Because I feel like, like, you know, there's always that guy who will go through a haunted house or watch a movie and go, oh, I'm not going to get scared, I'm too tough. Like, I think he was doing that simply so that he would not like those moments wouldn't get him because he like everybody else when there's there's a few scenes that have noise like it's there by a river or by other places and it, you, you could it was almost funny like soon as there's noise in the movie everybody reaches for their food and they're like quickly trying to eat it before, <laughs> before it goes back to silent mode and uh this guy would wait until the quiet scenes and he would go at it uh. and it was very it was clearly intentional and i'm like what is the deal but Go see A Quiet Place, um, support Iowa filmmakers, two writers from Iowa. How awesome is that, doing big things on the in the box office and horrors at the top right now until whatever comes out this weekend. So <laughs> Awesome. So cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, so, yeah, now maybe we should get into uh, some, some uh, Australian films, eh? Hey. Hey. <laughs> oi, oi. So who wants to start us off? I'll go. Okay. And, uh, well, it's only going to go downhill from here. Because <laughs> oh. I'm going to start with the best movie on the list by a whole wide margin, Road Games. I agree with that. That's my favorite on the list. I thought they were all good. I'm crazy. They were. No, I'm not saying there's anything bad. Just like Road Games is so fucking good that even though there are two movies on this list that are uh, Everett DeRoche, Richard Franklin collaborations, <laughs> even the other one of their movies uh, 
doesn't come close to. But anyway, Road Games uh, tells the story of Pat Quid, who is a truck driver, an American expat who uh, was in the Navy or somebody's Navy at one point because he was in the Persian Gulf and he was a gun runner for a while and uh, now finds himself in his life of adventure driving truck across Australia with his pet dingo Boswell, who's my favorite character in the whole movie. (laughs) And uh, he stops at a hotel one night at the at the end of one of his runs and uh, just before he goes in to get a room he gets a call from his dispatcher saying we got another load for you you got to go pick it up and so before he can even get in to get a room this dude goes in and, and gets the last room ahead of him this guy in a green van with this girl and uh, he's watching him make the reservation and the guy keeps looking back out at him and uh he doesn't think anything of it and goes to bed and the next day he wakes up and lets Boswell out of the truck while he's shaving and Boswell's digging around in the garbage and he sees this guy standing in the window watching the garbage until the, the collectors come to take it away to, like, to make sure that it all got picked up and uh, come to find out that guy is a serial killer and the reason he was so interested in the garbage getting picked up is because there was a piece of that girl in it and the reason he kept looking out the window while he was making the reservation is Pat's name is written on the side of his truck and he made the reservation in Pat's name to uh, to turn him into a kind of a red herring for the cops so on this haul from uh, I can't remember where he starts out at but he's headed to Perth with a truck a refrigerated trailer loaded with hog carcasses because there's a butcher's strike in Perth and um Along the way, the killer is trying to dispose of bits and pieces of this girl, and uh, he meets a bunch of interesting characters on the road, uh, including Jamie Lee Curtis, who is playing a character named Pamela Rutherford, and she's a diplomat's daughter who's just kind of out bumming around and hitchhiking across the world because she's tired of the the glamorous uh, aristocratic life and wants to see uh, see some adventure, I guess, see some excitement. And so they meet up and start talking about this guy, and they they start playing this kind of I spy game as they're driving down the road trying to figure out the psychology of the serial killer, and they come to the conclusion that the cops aren't going to believe Pat, and uh, the cops probably aren't going to believe her either, so they have to stop him. So they kind of set out on this mission to, to try to find the guy. And, uh, yeah, it, it's basically a rolling version of Rear Window, set across the course <laughs> yeah. of several hundred miles and uh stacy keach is pat quid like i said jamie lee curtis is pamela and the killer is played by a dude named grant page who if you watch a lot of australian movies chances are about 75 percent that if somebody gets blown up crashes a car gets flung off a building blown through a windshield it's probably him because he is one of the most insane stuntmen who has ever injured himself in front of a camera <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, I, I think this might be, and it's it's kind of hard to get a hold of in the states unless you have a region-free Blu-ray player. We haven't got a good release of this yet. So, are you listening, Arrow Video? You know they are. Keep having that effect. Yep, absolutely. Um, but it's it's kind of an underappreciated performance from her because a lot of people haven't had a chance to see it. But yeah. that Pamela Rutherford character could easily have come across as being kind of snotty and stuck up and. Yep and just your normal obnoxious rebellious teenager but she's very likable like she doesn't play it to the 
she doesn't play it abrasive. And uh, yeah. I really like that about about her. Yeah, this is a great movie. So good. What did anyone else think? It, it. I'm with you. It's my favorite on the list too. Not that this was. Not that there's any bad ones on the list, but uh, uh, it's my favorite. I love this movie. I only first saw it for the first time ever. Um, I think earlier this year, maybe late last mm-hmm. year. So when that horrible like VHS rip print showed up on Shutter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's when I first saw mm-hmm. it too. Oh, so good! But uh, yeah, and Jamie Lee Curtis is awesome in it. I always, I always felt like there was something off, off, of you know, with her character through. Like I first time watching it, I thought maybe, okay, she's going to be the character that's in on it. Yeah. You know that she's going to be teamed up with the. So it's uh, just with the weird enough killer. that it was not normal, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's great scenes between them two and the, in the, um, truck and that. And that's cool and yeah and i gave props to her i should also say some nice things about stacy keach because i haven't seen a ton of his work i've seen you know just bit parts and tv and stuff here and there and i've seen body bags and i've seen slave of the cannibal god and <laughs> i think that's about it for film work of his what but no cheech and chong movies so... oh that's right i totally forgot he was uh sergeant Stadenko. yep there you go so yeah, I've seen him in those too. But he is—he's so much fun in this, like spouting all the poetry and stuff. Like he's kind of that roguish, scholarly, everyman kind of. My—he keeps telling people, just because I drive a truck does not make me a truck driver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that is—you know—he's just doing that as a job. That is not his character. He's this kind of rakish intellectual adventure type guy and yeah everything about this movie is so goddamn good and you know all that wonderful dialogue he has is is you know down to everett de roche who uh wrote this he wrote patrick which is also on the list here he wrote razorback he wrote um one that i'll bring up later when we do the little round table or you know lightning round thing um he wrote a ton of fantastic Australian movies. He was actually an American. Mm. Everett DeRoche was. Um, he moved to Australia <laughs> when he was 22. He was born in Maine and uh, moved to Australia. I'm not entirely sure what for. And started writing for television and then started selling spec scripts and, and became this big deal. And I had no idea until you know doing a little background work for the show tonight that he was an American. I just assumed everyone who worked on those things was uh, was a, a native. Um, yeah. But and I also found out very sad to find that he died in 2014 of cancer. Oh, yeah. So not too long after they made that not quite Hollywood documentary, which I've seen. And I guess I would have known he was an American then, and I just forgot about it. But um, this is another one of those great on the road horror movies. I, I think like if that could be a subgenre, it's a subgenre I really like because those. I always find those. It reminds me a lot of like Duel and stuff. You know, where mm-hmm. I'm really right on the edge of my seat through the whole movie and questioning every move that Stacy Keach makes. Because every time he does something, I'm like, "Oh, this is only going to put you in more suspicion with the police, man." And like, yeah. by the time we get to the ending, I'm like, "There's no way. There's no way this is going to resolve well for him. It's yeah. impossible." But well, and then the flip side of that though is the the 
the dual comparison is apt. You know, it's a it's a dude in a truck and a dude in a small vehicle. Yeah. But the guy in the truck is the good guy. The guy in the small vehicle, who he could easily squish. <laughs> uh, you know that that's the villain who we never find out anything about. You know, the 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 serial killer never has a line in the movie at all. You just see his yeah. eyes. Uh, and it's and not like I Keech love- is being chased either. It's more like followed. But it's yeah, still... well, and he and he halfway he's chasing the yeah. the killer too because he's yeah. trying to make sure that he gets caught. Yeah, solve the crime or whatever. Yeah. yeah and this has there's just some moments I'm like, dude, just leave it alone. <laughs> just leave it alone. <sighs> this movie has what is probably my favorite car chase sequence. In the, any movie I've ever seen, there at the end when it's, you're going down the alley, yeah, it's so fucking, awesome. fucking brilliant because it's a car chase where every vehicle and they keep cutting to the speedometer to even drive the point home. That it's a car chase where every vehicle involved in the chase is going slower and slower and slower until none of them can move at all. Yeah, and it's a hundred times more intense. And suspenseful than any you know crazy Dukes of Hazard jumping over stuff and smashing through plate glass windows car chase you'll ever see. It's just incredible. Franklin is a great director, and uh, he, he was a great devotee of Alfred Hitchcock, which you know would explain the his attraction to doing a, a rear window type story too. Yeah, but you know he, he was big into storyboarding everything, uh, like very down to the T, like Hitchcock did. And uh, but you know he he also had his uh, had some exploitation chops. You know it wasn't just just that kind of suspense and mystery thing. You know he he know how to throw a throw a little nasty bit in there every once in a while too. But yeah, yeah, you, you really got me thinking about things as far as this movie does a great job of taking. A lot of traditional tropes, especially in this, like, on-the-road thriller type of story. Oh, shit, I said the T-word. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it works. It, this movie definitely is that. You, you could easily call it that and not be wrong, <laughs> I guess. <clears throat> but then, like, taking what's expected and flipping it, you know? Like you said, that, that, that chase is freaking... Is suspenseful, chase, intense, yeah. and yet, yeah, and then it's get it gets to the point where those vehicles are going to a slow crawl because, you know, they they he chases the car down the alley, and that's the thing too. He's chasing the killer in this chase scene. This isn't the killer chasing him, and he chases him into this alley where the alley just keeps getting narrower and narrower. Where like you know the the doors on the car caving in and stuff, and they just to the point where the vehicles get completely stuck, they can't move anymore. It's very and, awesome. And the, the cop car's trapped under Quid's bumper. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the killer's van dies, and he can't get it to start. Quid's truck gets wedged into that little uh, walkway over the mm-hmm. top of the alley because it's just too short for his, you know it catches the top of his trailer so he's trying to plow his trailer through that and that other cop because the when the cop's car gets stuck under his bumper one of them sends the other one like 
crawl underneath his truck and go up there and see what's going on. And he gets tangled up in all that barbed wire and shit that yeah. that Quid had got wrapped around his axle <clears throat> earlier when he was, you know, going off road. And so <laughs> that poor bastard just about gets crushed by his trailer. And oh my god, so fucking good. Jamie Lee Curtis's character, she's called Hitch throughout the movie, which is actually even a nod to Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. So, definitely, definitely some Hitchcockian influences going on there. Uh, Jason, what were your thoughts on Road Games? My only problem with this movie is I'm looking at this poster and the tagline is terrible. Here it is. Animal, <laughs> vegetable, or murder the fuck is that <laughs> right which it, well it's a reference to the game that he was playing with frida frugal remember oh yeah horrible God. horrible lady terrible lady. but unless you watch the movie you're not gonna know that <laughs> right right <laughs> terrible picture of jamie lee it's just awful anyway yeah that uh, tagline if you haven't seen the movie because obviously the poster's meant to sell the movie the poster doesn't exist for people who already seen the movie that, 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 that makes it sound like it's a monster movie almost yeah <laughs> But uh, I I love the movie. Um, it was great. All the things you guys said. Um, I totally uh, forgot to check into this, but I noticed this movie and another one on the list at least uh, said the score was done by Brian May. Is that Queen Brian May? I believe so, yeah. yeah that's fucking awesome. Double checking right now. Um, yeah, you uh, asked me I just happened to notice that. Yeah. And, Queen's guitar player. I thought he did stuff, but... Yeah, he did a lot of film score work. I know there's two on this list. I think Patrick was, too. Yeah, and that's the, that's the other Richard Franklin Everett DeRoche yeah. movie, too. So, yeah, it was fantastic. A uh, whole lot of Stacy Keach talking to himself, but... <laughs> but Again, a lot like in Duel. But he's great, yeah. Yeah, it, it, he's, it's such a great character, and he gives such a good performance, and the dialogue's so goddamn good. Like, I could have just watched a whole movie of him talking to Boswell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think I love this, you know, kind of subgenre thing, because it is a lot of just, like, one or two characters that's dealing with this uh, tense situation. And I, I like it when it's a super simplistic cast and, and storyline like that. I've always had, I've always been a sucker for that kind of stuff, so... <clears throat> Terry, what'd you think of uh, Road Games? I thought it was great. Um, definitely, yeah, I totally see the uh, rear window aspect now that you said that. Totally spot on on that. Um, but yeah, Stacy Keach is awesome. I uh, kept imagining him with more hair. Just from body uh-huh. bags. <laughs> too much hair. Too much hair. Um yeah, the the dog is cute. The dingo. Um, the dingo. Dingo. But he it's technically a type of dog, so whatever. But then it turns out at the end. He's he barks. He barks. You, you, you spend a hundred dollars for a dingo, you expect to get a dingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and also I really like the um the lady he picks up. Like what yeah. did she was it like toilet paper? That she ran across the road to get him to stop. What was that that she made the? Yeah, it looked like it's some kind of pink, like almost like a streamer. Yeah. But I don't know why you would have that on you. But whatever. Um, but she was funny. Uh, yeah. I mean, I thought he really towed the line a lot of times with 
you know, that uh, sleep deprivation or am I going crazy line sort of a thing, um, which is also, it lends itself to the rear window thing too, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, it was really, it was good. Liked it. And so, I love the end. Because it's kind of a thinker, you know, like, who, the meat count was off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. And that then that makes you wonder, like, are they going to, like, they busted the guy. You know, the, the cops take the killer away at the end, but does that last shot mean that Quid is not out of the woods? Like, are they going to come looking for him because they find that in his truck? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, didn't they say something about... He said something about his uh, back doors being open at one point, too, didn't he? Like, the guy snuck in there and... Yeah, because there, there was one point where he was... After he found out that the doors were were open after he was uh, trying to find Hitch, he kept he went and counted all the, the carcasses, and the, car, the count was off by two sides of pork. And he was two sides right. too many. And so he was, like, freaking out. So he knew what was going on there, but... No one else will, yeah. He was trying to frame him. Pork is people. <laughs> well, uh, that, that poor cleaning lady knows and that yeah. head falls into the bucket in front of her. <laughs> Which, how did no one else notice that piece, that guitar string hanging down? Because the serial killer garroted people with guitar strings and then, you know, hacked them up later on. But the way that that cleaning lady finds out where she's scrubbing the trailer is the string is dangling down from the ceiling. Yeah. But yeah, you know, they carried out 130 sides of Porto, however many it was, 300 some, and didn't notice that. I don't know. But whatever. <laughs> that's a pretty minor quibble. <laughs> yeah. It's such a great movie. Real quick, I uh, hate to burst everybody's bubble, but it is not the same Brian May from Queen. Oh, really? Yeah. Because mm, yeah. uh, I read the bio and didn't say anything about Queen, so I looked at like uh, trivia and it said, not to be confused with the uh, Brian May's Queen, or Queen's Brian May. <laughs> Which, but, that would actually make something to do with Patrick make more sense, but I'll, I can bring that up when we talk about Patrick. Um, and but looking here, great list of credits. Uh, yeah, you had mentioned Patrick. He did both Mad Max and Road Warrior. Um, he did uh, just a lot of stuff, but uh, some that stand out to me. Turkey Shoot. Great movie. Um, interesting enough, Cloak and Dagger, which I watched for the first time here not too long ago, um, mostly because uh, Tom Holland uh, wrote the script for it, so I had to see it. Um but and Cloak and Dagger has a rear window theme to it as well, so it's interesting. And then he also did uh, this will get everybody excited. He also did the score for Doctor Giggles. So there you go. Yes. Hmm. <clears throat> oh, Larry Drake. Yeah. And uh, we keep bringing up Patrick, the guy who played Patrick. Richard Thompson is actually in this. He's a sneezy rider, the the motorcycle guy with the weird like pink jumpsuit. Get up. Oh, huh. interesting. Uh, I mean, you only see his face for like two seconds in that bathroom, but yeah, that that, that unibrow is unmistakable. <laughs> Ted, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't have too many uh, outside of what you guys said. I 
I watched it and was this was my first watch. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Had a blast with it. I always like Stacy Keach and of course I I did not like if if you guys list a movie that I haven't seen yet, I don't try to read up on it first because I want to go in completely fresh and when like Jamie Lee Curtis popped up I was it was what a pleasant surprise. I mm. yeah, I love Jamie Lee, so I was like, Oh, I didn't know you know I, I, I figured I had seen most of her stuff, so seeing her pop up in this and not be like the lead was cool. It was it was a fun movie. I was just the whole time I'm like, I swear to God if that dingo dies <laughs> then I will hate Mike forever <laughs> for making me watch this and there was a few a few times where it, it was getting scary, little, yeah 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 and i'm like i i do not care about any of the humans but if that dog <laughs> is harmed i am oh. right yeah yeah exactly like you can kill kill everybody but leave the dingo <laughs> they they went like to that that truck stop or restaurant or whatever and there the guy was like oh the people around here are you know told to shoot them on on site, I'm like, get the fuck out of there, then get in your <laughs> yeah. car, go. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I'd seen it before, and I, but I'd forgotten about that little detail. So even though I'd seen the movie, and I knew that Boz makes it to the end, when the guy said that, like, oh my god, get back out to your truck, they're gonna get him. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's, and and that's how you know it's a good movie. If you've seen it before, <laughs> it can still get you. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Well, sweet, yeah, road games. Um, it's like you said; it's it's kind of hard to track down. Um, it was on Shutter for a while, but it was a it was a crappy copy, and so somebody out there, whether it be Arrow or whoever, needs to do an awesome Blu-ray American release of this. Movie. We got a good streak going. It'd be awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I know I don't know if it's eighty-eight films or who it is, but there I know there is a good UK Blu-ray of this. So I mean, one exists if you have a region-free player. But for those of us who have not made that jump yet, for fear of their wallets, <laughs> like me, because I'd have five hundred different versions of every Godzilla movie. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it, it would be awful nice if we could get a good American release for this one. And it's surprising we haven't because... It's good. It, well, and they're two American stars who are yeah. the leads. Yeah, yeah. It's the one movie on the list without accents. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, real quick, way off topic. Um, <laughs> I got a Godzilla question for you, Brian. Speaking of <laughs> okay. Because you ready. mentioned like you'd have like you know, a thousand different copies of all the different Godzilla movies. And I get where that's coming from because, you know, there are some things that are different from the Japanese versions versus the American versions. So yeah. the first one that springs to my mind is King Kong versus Godzilla. I, I actually have an HD subtitled print of the Japanese version of that. Nice. So in <laughs> it's, your... It's totally legal. <laughs> I promise. And now I'm expecting Toho's lawyers to like come rappelling through my windows with <laughs> tear gas and shit. So I, I was always in the understanding that the Japanese version Godzilla one and the American oh, version that, that is a fallacy. Oh, uh, is it myth uh, perpetrated by Forey Ackerman and those Crestwood House books? You know those orange-covered books yeah, that we yeah. all had in our school libraries when a kid. Yeah, yeah, that's total. That's bull honky. There is a huge amount of difference between the two movies. 
uh, both, I mean, they even rewrote a lot of the dialogue in the dub for the American one and changed a lot of the character motivations and stuff. Um, there's a good, like, 10 or 15 minutes worth of, you know, it's, like, re-edited for the American. I mean, there's a bunch of footage added for the American version. There's a lot of re-editing done to change the story structure. But, no, the ending is is the same both ways. Okay. All right. Well, never mind. They'll sleep better now. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> so, so what's next? Who wants to go next? How about you, Tad? <laughs> All right, I'll go with a movie that I had on my top horror films of 2017. I'm going to go into Hounds of Love. Okay. Yeah. Um, story's pretty simple. A uh, girl gets abducted by some by a creepy dude. She um, tries to get out of the house, and it's sort of just a creepy abduction movie. That's pretty like a, that's pretty much the story. I won't spoil the ending on whether she gets what she wants or not. But um, like I it, I talked in length about it. I think Terry had it on her list too. From yeah. last year, and yeah. uh, you had it on your list, <laughs> I, right? Yeah. I heard muting, unmuting. That was fun. I'm sorry. <laughs> but oh, um, no, I wasn't unmuted. No, oh. I was. She was just trying not to talk over the top of me. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy this one. I mean, this this story is not a new story, but this one. I don't know. Last year, I when I watched at the end of the year, it was pretty pretty tense and pretty scary. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of really really new stuff on the podcast, so I was happy to have sort of contrast with this one. Um, I mean, we went from Road Games and Patrick, you know, and some of these older ones to this is you know f- fresh Brand fresh new. off the Bobby. Yeah, fresh off the Bobby. <laughs> but uh, oh, gosh. I. This one, yeah, played with the, the acting in this one's great, so it played with my uh, anxiety a bit. It's it's just well done. I think I think it's very tense and and does a great job of ramping up that dread. What did you guys think? I I loved it. It uh was tense as fuck. I loved I. I the the wife I th- was m- the most interesting to me because it's it was weird. I mean, I know that it happens, I guess, but like you never see a lot in movies anyway. That <clears throat> the bad guy normally acts alone, but this is like a the wife of the bad guy, and she's in on it, and it's so it's fucking weird, and it's like this new weird thing and you can tell from right away that she's not all the way in on it right she's all in on it she's being manipulated by him this whole time yeah but she does i you know i know so but it's that makes it fucking super interesting to me i guess and different than any normal what is happening but i like the dude i thought he was creepy as fuck and um I, I I loved it because it was simple. That is what I liked about it. it. Was slow and simple and deliberate, and 
uh, which made it tense to me, I guess. So. Yeah, grimy and creepy. And it, the dude, the yeah. dude's like, yeah, the the dynamic between the couple that um, abduct a girl is what sort of makes the story. Because on on paper, it, it is really just you know a girl gets kidnapped, but yeah. it's the interaction between the three characters because she's the the girl that's been captured is sort of trying to drive a wedge between the husband and wife using that to manipulate her way out of this hellhole that she's in and this guy clearly she's not the first one and you know it's it's something that he's sort of got down to a science where he can keep them here and do what he wants with them and it some of it's more implied than actually shown but it's it's damn effective yeah, I agree. I know. Uh, because I thought it was all pretty powerful, like, it's heck of a ride. I don't I don't think I could ever watch it again because <laughs> it's so crazy, but, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, and then reading up, I know that, you know, it says at the beginning, this is based on true events, so, you know, you figure, <clears throat> excuse me, that that's going to be fairly loosely adapted but this is actually like for real um it's based on a story this girl escapes and she goes to the police and she regales this whole story um of what happened to her at this couple's house and so basically and it's pretty true to what the story was what this girl was saying down to like the Rocky tape and the VCR and all that shit. Huh. So wow. it is like real life, <laughs> according to that girl anyway, of what happened to her when she was captured by this couple in Perth. So even more batshit crazy. Yeah, that is. <laughs> but yeah, it's just the fact that it's so simple, but done so well. Um, it's just, yeah. It really struck me when I watched it last year, and it got bumped up onto my list at the last minute. So there's, I, I, I love when the positive people go first when I know there's negative coming. I'm just saying that as Mike laughs evilly. Okay. <laughs> so there's a lot of good stuff that's going on in this movie. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's got a lot of great shocking moments, and... The, the the best part of the movie is the interaction between the three of them or actually more in particular the interaction between the wife and the and the and the girl the kidnap e I guess you could say um, I just I found the movie too slow and like if you were to take out all the slow motion shots in this movie it'd probably only be about 30 minutes long uh, I thought that was way overused and and annoying as hell. <laughs> I remember the first thing you said to me, like, I'm going to rename this movie. Slow-mo the movie. So, once things were going on inside the house, it was great. But uh, things leading up to it, thing, you know, things at the end. I mean, even the climactic ending just turns into this long, drawn-out slow-motion scene. Like, really? But wasn't that awesome? Because, no. like, even, not not until... The moment where they're both in the same frame, are you like sure that they're out of the situation and like it just made it more tense, right? No, not you. That didn't work for me. 
Yeah. I just couldn't get past all the slow motion. <laughs> Which takes me out of it, too. Like, when you have when you have that much uh, of the same thing going on there. So, so yeah. I didn't hate it. Um, it, I don't, it, it. I wouldn't redo my favorite of 2017 list, though. So... So that's that. That's all I've got. Brian? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Knowing how much, how real the the true story part of it was makes me kind of want to get back to it again. I watched it after everyone had, had raved about it for the uh, New Year thing, but we, pulling back the curtain a little bit, we uh, rescaled, I wasn't originally going to be able to make this episode and then we rescheduled kind of at the last minute so I didn't have time to revisit everything and this is the one I skipped because it didn't do that much for me the first time I it was just one of those I've seen kidnap and torture movies so many fucking times and this was just another one of them (laughs) and it didn't do much for me but now yeah knowing how ripped from the headlines it was that makes it a whole lot more interesting And it's, I mean, and I think that the, even the writer-director tries to say that it's not directly based on that, but it's pretty clear that it is. Um, but he's trying to, I just think, think he doesn't want to peg it as a tr- like a true crime story, you know? So he's saying, oh, well, I got inspiration from all these other things, even though all of the details line up with, like, the one story. So I don't know what's up his butt, but... <laughs> so what you're saying is it's much more based on real events than The Strangers. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> it's on Hulu, so Who? most people yep. can watch it. You're not going to play a lot? No. Come on. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's on Hulu. No. All right. So moving Split on. on that one. What's that? Split on that one. Yeah. yeah. Majority in favor. <laughs> <laughs> and and even the two that were not in favor. Yeah, I mean, you guys like didn't hate fuck it. this no. movie. It was just like yeah, it was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's some things I liked and some things I didn't like. So anyway, uh, so Terry, what else do we need to talk about? <sighs> oh man. Um, well, I liked all of these movies, so how about, uh, let's do Patrick. Okay. Next. Cool. Th- this was the one I was unsure on how everybody would feel about. I thought I this... really liked it. Yeah. Unibrow, the motion picture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I mean, I guess the basic premise is that you have this uh, killer guy in a coma at a hospital and he uses telekinesis to harass people basically and he and he's trying to like get with his nurse so he's like stalking her with his mind so yeah so opening scene which is probably my favorite moment of the whole movie, honestly. Cause the because cin- of the full frontal male nudity? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and just cinematically, you know, it definitely feels like 
some great classic osploitation stuff going on because there's some really interesting camera it's really interesting uh frames in this opening sequence like with the the big silver silver ball where you could see the people doing it in the reflection of the silver ball which yeah. is the mm-hmm. part of the bedpost of smacking against the wall and stuff so right away it, it i get sucked in with that and then like uh you know seeing images on on the eyeball and stuff like that but uh <clears throat> i don't I guess I still don't fully know the relationship, but there's two people having sex, and Patrick in the next room, and he goes and gets a space heater, and he throws it into the bath. Well, it's weird. He go, he throws it to, to go into the bathtub, and the guy catches it, and it burns his hands, and he throws it back. That was a little awkward. There's a little bit of a Looney Tunes cartoon moment there. Um, and then it finally ends up in the tub and frying the two. Catches her hair on fire. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it was that was a little silly, but uh, that 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 was his mom. Okay, yeah, that was his. And what we assume is is you know one of a string of her boyfriends that he is fed up with hearing them fuck through the Kleenex thin walls of their flat. Okay, cool, and then. And then it cuts to like some time later, and this this girl uh, is um, divorcing her husband, and she's trying to get this job at the nurse at this like uh, low rent hospital, and she's put in charge of the room where Patrick is in, which is the killer from the beginning of the movie. And it now am I wrong? It never explains how he went from frying his mom to basically being. Comatose, comatose in a in a, in a hospital bed. He's found at the scene in that vegetative state by the police and taken to the hospital. So they assume that he was a witness to the murder and not the murderer himself. So what I took from it was that he found the act of murdering his mother a little more traumatic than his little temper tantrum had him <laughs> think it was going to be. And, you know, essentially his many of the parts of his brain shut down because of the like PTSD of what he had done. Okay. That's that that's what I took from it anyway. So. But he's all but I mean he's basically all the doctors and nurses believe him to be dead. Right. Uh, They're know, just prolonging. They they just got him hooked up to machines to where you know, it's keeping him alive, but he's they, they see him as basically like brain dead and all that jazz. So Patrick, or as I refer to him as Australian Garrett Graham, um, <laughs> you know, he you know, he's just like comatose and his eyes are open the whole time, which is just creepy as shit. I love it. And um and the nurse believes there's something more going on than what everybody thinks. She believes him to still be, you know, alive. You know, he does this spitting thing, which they all just say is like a, uh, you know, just a nerve reaction. Um, but then he starts displaying telekinesic powers. He communicates to her through the typewriter. He causes things to happen. And at first it's a little... You know, unsure if it's Patrick making these things happen or if it's just circumstance. You know, things like, you know, they close the window and then when they leave the room, all of a sudden the window's open again. Lights are flickering all the time and and stuff like that. Um, And then, like, 
when the girl ends up getting fired from the hospital, things start going a little batshit crazy. They're in the old hospital. Patrick concerned. So, yeah, I like this movie. It, it's a little slow at times, but I really dig it. Um, uh, the guy playing Patrick is awesome. Just to be able to lay there and be motionless through the whole movie, and that freaking scene where. It's after the nurse gets fired and the other nurse is with him all night. Yeah. And, like, things start going crazy and the lights go out. And and Patrick just slowly turns his head. Like, oh, that was fucking awesome. That was scary as hell. It was so cool. Yeah. It was a great, great moment. You know, there's a few weird things in the movie that don't sit right with me. Um, you know, as far as there's this whole animal cruelty thing where the doctor kills a frog to demonstrate the point that uh patrick uh that patrick's just a just a vegetable um because obviously that was a real frog that he basically stabs in the head yeah yeah and then he just throws it on the floor (laughs) leaves it for the nurse to clean up doctor's a dick um yeah, he was my least favorite part. And not just because he was a dick, but because I thought it, his acting was weird. Oh, uh, yeah, his performance <laughs> is kind of weird. It was a but bit much. I don't yeah. think it was bad, it was just weird. Yeah. The character I didn't like the most, the one that I hated the most was the husband, ex-husband. Like, your first scene <laughs> with him is him breaking into her apartment and raping her. Yeah, that what? scene was a little awkward. That was way awkward. Because then they're just kind of laying in bed together like, you know, it's no big deal. It's just it's what we do. Yeah, because he's like, well, so much for women's rape fantasies or yeah. something. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't I take that, that to assume that it went to, that it culminated. Like, I, well, I no. assumed that meant that she rebuffed him to the point that exactly. he didn't get anything but out of it. But that line was a little much yeah. i'm like come on dude but yeah. then it turns out by the end of, and that's it's very interesting that by the end of the movie it turns out he is he's kind of a douche but he ends up being a good guy yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. like he's the one that she could like his 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 motivations are are pure you know he really does love her he's trying really hard to get their marriage back together he's just such a fucking clod that all of his methods are terrible (laughs) yeah yeah in a sense it kind of reminds me of the the character in the fly the guy that ran the the magazine like at first he's just like total scumbag you know breaks into gina davis's apartment and stuff and then there at the end you feel bad for him and his hand gets melted off by Brendel fly puking on it. <laughs> and it's it's interesting you say that that uh, the the doctor uh, Roger was or Roget, however you're supposed to pronounce it, um, was like the weak point in acting because he was played by a dude named Robert Heltman, who was a hugely respected actor <laughs> in the UK. Had worked with Laurence Olivier, had done tons of stage work. Was well, I can famous. see. I can definitely tell that he's a stage actor, but that doesn't necessarily always translate well to a movie. No, I didn't say I particularly liked him either. It's just funny that, like, the the one who gets picked out as the uh, the the not as good one is like the one who 
by all accounts, everyone on the set was kind of in awe of just because of the stories he would tell and stuff. <laughs> but um, apparently in the scene where he hoists Patrick back up into bed, he was, because he was a, uh, a very flamboyant individual, shall we say, <clears throat> and was very excited to get his hands all over uh, Richard Thompson's uh, taut young body. <laughs> get his hands, get his hands on his dingo. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he, he, wanted to, he wanted to pet his Boswell. And, uh, during that that scene, uh, the director kept or Richard Franco was like, you know, let's have the nurse come in and help you do this. He's like, no, 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 I can, I can do it. I'll be fine. And he grabs him, and you know, obviously. Uh, Helpman is this tiny little dude and the guy who plays Patrick is a pretty big guy and he tries to lift him back into bed and literally breaks his back like everyone said they could hear his vertebrae crack and he just collapsed well that was the last day of shooting before they went there's I can't remember it was Christmas or some major holiday where they were going to take a pretty long break from shooting so he basically spent the whole thing like in bed in a cast to be able to walk again oh my god and it's not came back yikes i'll yeah. teach him to get his jollies on right <clears throat> yeah yeah that just makes me think of the scene where the nurse is jerking jerking patrick off in the in the bed yeah and then the one one we were asked to do it the second and then the one, uh, and then the other nurse, the head nurse lady or whatever, walks in on her while she's doing it. I'm like, oh, okay, definitely getting fired now. What were your thoughts on Patrick? I thought the first time he spit, I shit my pants. That <laughs> scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, I really like. I really like the font. <laughs> I thought the logo. Okay, the logos. <laughs> Great! It's, it's got the heart the monitor thing on it. It's good. It's cool. I like that. Um, and then uh, the the end where he may or may not jump out of bed. That scared the holy fuck out of me too. Oh yeah, yeah. Jesus, criminy. But was he was he faking it the whole time? Or was he really? I mean, the head turn, you know what? I don't know, Does man. He's... he's faking it, man. He's he's really good because there's scenes where the yeah. doctor is poking him with pins, test his to test his nerves, right? N- nerve endings and a lot of shit go is going on in that movie. To poor or did Patrick. he just telekinesis his neck? Yeah, I was gonna say cause yeah. he's a obviously an extremely powerful telekinetic there's no reason he couldn't mind control his own body he's so powerful of a telekin of a telekinetic that he uh can cause things to happen like several miles away like right. at the, the pool scene like that's nowhere yeah. near the hospital like nowhere in the vicinity of patrick and he's still making shit happen and that yeah. immediately made me think of jaws like uh, that scene where he's getting dragged back and forth was just like uh just like chrissy getting oh yeah oh yeah shaking around at the opening scene of jaws totes it's good though i liked it a lot mm-hmm. i've always heard of this movie and never has never seen it until recently so 
Because it's always one that seemed to always pop up first when it comes to Australian horror films. And there there aren't really that many, at least from this time period, straight horror films from Australia. Lots of, yeah. you know, various types of exploitation movies, but not mm. that many just straight up occult, supernatural, horror, you know, Carrie style, because this is obviously a cash-in on Carrie. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's stuff with elements of horror, but most of them aren't just pure horror movies. This is kind of one of the few. Yeah. Ted, what were your thoughts? I I like this, uh, I don't know, this whole style of sort of grimy, uh, I don't know, just the era of this movie and the absurd nature of a guy who's fucking with people through his mind and it's there's just it's it's pretty absurd but uh, that's what i like about it we got such a wide range on this episode from uh you know it's it's really nothing like road games in in a sense but somehow fit together you know in theme but i i I enjoy it that was the first one i watched it first time i've watched it and the first one of the uh, episode i watched sort of kicked it off with this one because it's one i've seen several like seen uh mentioned several times but never actually got around to watching so i was it was about what i expected i really did like it though it's it's got moments just like jason was saying some of those not necessarily you'll sort sort of jump scares but those those got me every time yeah and this uh, uh following along with because this is the other one made by uh, the the two filmmakers who made Road Games, um, and that had a couple of American actors to give it more overseas appeal, I guess. Um, this one had Robert Helpman, who was a, an English actor, and then uh, Susan Penaligon, who played Kathy Jackard. She was a British actress, too, and she'd done uh, quite a few movies and, and some stage stuff, uh, in England before, so that you know it was trying to 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 get some different accents in there because at the time Australian movies were still a little hard to sell overseas because their accent was so unfamiliar to uh, to audiences outside their country, hmm. and so putting a couple of respected English actors in it would you know definitely make them able to sell it at least in the UK. And uh, she, I haven't seen a lot of the stuff she was in. She did quite a few other horror movies as well. But the the other thing that I know her from is The Land That Time Forgot with Doug McClure, which was uh, made by Amicus, which is kind of the... There There are three British studios that are like sort of drop tiers in budget. Like you've got Hammer, which is the big prestigious one with, with Cushing and Christopher Lee and the Dracula, Frankenstein, all that stuff. And then you have Amicus, which did a... a ton of the anthology movies and a lot of cool Edgar Rice Burroughs adaptations with dinosaurs <laughs> which is the land that time forgot I, I fucking love that movie and then you've got Tygon which is like the next step down you know made some some good stuff but some much less prestigious and lower budget stuff and uh, this movie when it got sold to America they redubbed it just like they did with Mad Max the distributors had uh, an American 
voice acting crew come in and completely redo all the all the dialogue and I haven't seen that version but by all accounts it's fucking awful oh. <laughs> like like the, the dubbing actors just could not deliver line but you know they didn't have a weird Australian accent so they're not scary foreigners and uh, when I, I mentioned something earlier when we were talking about Brian May and his not being the guy from Queen making a little more sense in a way yeah. when this was now, if if you had Brian May from Queen doing your soundtrack, <laughs> that would be a pretty big name, right? Yeah, that would be an easy sell. You wouldn't need to change your soundtrack. But when this was sold to Italy, Goblin did a score for it. Whoa! Yeah, and these the Severn Films Blu-ray uh, that I've got has the Goblin score on it. I didn't watch that version of it yet. I just watched it, you know, the regular fully Australian version. <laughs> But yeah, it makes more sense that they, you know, they would not have needed to replace the right. guy from Queen with right. Goblin to be able to sell the score. But it just being some random Australian guy who did a bunch of film work, then yeah, obviously in Italy, Goblin is going to be a huge draw. So. Wow, have you listened to that score yet with it? No, I have, like I said, when oh. I, I've I've only watched this movie once. I when I watched it for the show, I just you know put Did the Blu-ray in and watched the the straight Australian version of it, and then I went back and um, there's not a ton of extra stuff on it. There's a commentary track which I haven't heard, and then there's a bunch of extended interviews from the Not Quite Hollywood documentary, hmm. that exploitation documentary that came out in uh, 2008 or nine somewhere around there. So I watched all the extended uh, interviews, and that's where I got that bit about Robert Heltman breaking his back oh, trying oh, to yeah. fondle Richard Thompson. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and watching it again with the Goblin score, oh, just because yeah. I mean, obviously Goblin's fucking awesome. So they're they're not just a draw in Italy; <laughs> they're probably a bigger draw in the states anymore than they are in Italy, I would guess. But wow. never know. Yeah, it's got to take that movie to another level. Awesome. Anybody else got anything to say about Patrick? Okay, then. Fine. Jeez. No, I don't. Okay, gosh. Well, let's get into the I left. Kept, I oh. kept it going as long as I could. You Sorry. did. No, you kicked ass. <laughs> well, let's, let's get into the last movie on our list. Who wants to talk about it? I'm not good at those. Undead. You gotta talk, you gotta talk about it. <laughs> Alright, well we the last movie is Undead. Um Yeah. It's a zombie ish film. It is part partly. <laughs> it's part bonkers. Yeah. It's also yeah. a zombie fish film. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um interesting movie i had no idea like from the poster like that kind of orangish yeah. looking one i kind of assumed to be a lame-ass zombie movie yeah oh, but no. it, it's a comedy yeah which i was not at all anticipating so that was a pleasant surprise and i thought that it was su successful for the most part like i had fun with it even though it was a little odd um because not only are there um, zombies, but there are aliens and meteorites and um, a whole bunch of stuff happening. Uh, 
it's interesting to say the least um i guess i should describe it <laughs> would you that'd be awesome <laughs> um so there are some uh meteors that come to town and <laughs> people start turning into zombies and you know then you have like a part of the movie that's pretty uh, standard you know survivors fighting against the zombies and all like ah what the fuck is happening um and everyone relearning how to kill a zombie because no one knows after watching dozens and dozens of zombie movies that you have to shoot them in the head um so there's all that and then there's like this weird acid rain happening and like things getting beamed up into the sky um <laughs> I don't, um <laughs> basically just skipping ahead to the end so spoiler alert the there are aliens who have quarantined this little town um, because they've been infected with a virus, the, the zombie virus, whatever. Um, and the rain that everyone is thinking is like acid because it's making their clothes like um, smoke up um, is actually a healing rain. The aliens are trying to heal the humans um, before unquarantining the town and taking off. Um it's the basic yeah. idea of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, yeah, interesting. So I'm guessing that the virus came from the meteors? Yeah, my assumption yeah. is that these aliens are aware that this, you know, presumably there's some kind of rogue uh, meteor or asteroid that's, yeah. that's flying around and shedding pieces of itself as it passes the orbits of different planets and that they are aware that this heavenly body carries this infection <clears throat> and have taken it upon themselves to land on whatever unsuspecting planet gets a dose of this nasty plague and cure it mm -hmm. and uh, yeah th this is a movie that its ambition definitely outstrips its budget yeah. and I'd forgotten that I'd forgotten the aspect that the aliens were the heroes I hadn't seen this like, I saw it when it first came out back in, was it like, 04, 05, something like that, and and hadn't seen it again since until, you know, we'd watched it this weekend for the show. And I'd forgotten how weird it was. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, as most of the stuff that stuck with me, I remembered the, the zombie parts, but I'd forgotten a lot of the alien. I knew me there too. were aliens in it, but I forgot what their role was. Uh -huh. And so it was all kind of you know, surprise unraveling again. And this, because I remember being excited for when it came out, because it had been talked about a lot through, you know, Dread Central, Fangoria. It was it was kind of like the resurgence of, of not just zombies, because it came out around, you know, it, in the wake of the uh, Dawn of the Dead remake, zombies, you know, it become a big deal again. So this was like a new Australian exploitation movie, a new horror comedy, a new zombie movie that, you know, breathing new life into the genre kind of thing. And it was a big deal for about a month. And then Shaun of the Dead came out. No one remembered this existed. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the best part is definitely the uh, the fish part, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel like this one could definitely benefit from a score from Goblin or just about okay. anybody because that the score is was oh my god distracting to me. Oh, I was really? like, I felt like oh, if I watched watched it on mute, I would have enjoyed it more. One of those really, you know, like I said, the ambition outstripped the budget. It was one of those one guy with a with a Casio keyboard did the score, and it shows kind of thing. Oh. Well, I stepped away for a moment, just getting back here. I don't know where everyone's at with this movie, but I love this movie. I like the score. You because would. I had forgotten, or maybe I didn't realize it at the time, just how much of a... I feel this whole movie feels like a a 50s throwback. That score really to me has like a 50s sound to it. The opening uh, at the opening when you get the the name the the font of the title. Yeah, the font is definitely. Yeah. It makes me feel like the 50s and the whole fact of like I don't know if they were channeling their inner plan 9, but it's the same thing. <laughs> only reversed right it's like it's aliens causing the dead to come back to life but in this case spoiler alert twist the the aliens are the good guys trying to stop it so which first time seeing that like first of all first time i saw this movie was like oh this is just a crazy nutty zany joyride remind reminds me a lot of stuff like early early peter jackson stuff or or um you know, or, you know stuff like that, but uh, but then when it when it has this neat little twist to it that I didn't see coming, I'm like, oh, it's like cool on another level as well. But I, I love some of the crazy zombie action in it, total cartoon style, like when they're in the uh, when they're in the the grocery store and like he. You know, kicks his foot, makes him slide, slides himself all the way to the back, and knocks something down and throws it. To, or when he shakes up a soda can and shoves it in a zombie's mouth, and then <laughs> like throws a dart at it, and it makes the whole head explode. Like that stuff is awesome. <laughs> it's just wacky, zany fun. And I have a feeling I'm assuming Brian, you were talking a lot about like the budget on this movie, right? Yeah. As yeah. I already said it twice, I ain't going to say it again. But nope. yes, I, I mentioned the budget. <laughs> Which, I kind of see it more watching it this last time, but when I first learned that, I'm like, holy shit, they got away with a lot with nothing. Yeah. You know, watching it this last time was like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see, you know, it, it, it wears its budget on its sleeve a little bit more. And they, they do a good job of hiding things by the fact that they flush out all the color through most of this movie. Like, everything is just blue and dark and whatnot so uh, i think that kind of helps cover seams on things especially with some of the cgi work and i remember at the time the cgi work i just thought was like the best ever but even now it it, that feels pretty dated but the uh it you know they did not hide from their ideas they didn't come up with stuff and then go now we can't afford it they came up with stuff and went, we can't afford it but fuck it (laughs) Exactly. How are we going to do this anyway? Yeah. Um, uh, real quick, jumping over to New Zealand since you brought up Peter Jackson and this type of thing. Have you seen Evil Aliens by Jake West? 
Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, you would love that movie. You definitely need to see it. Cool, yeah, I'm down. It, it's very much in the vein of this. Sweet. And, and, and jumping back to this one now, thinking of the aliens, even though at the end of the movie the comedy kind of gets abandoned for the, okay, now we're going to, like, here's the plot, all, yeah. all in one big chunk. Um, the aliens are responsible for one of my favorite jokes in the movie. When the one alien reveals itself to uh, to Renee, the main character, by taking its robe off and peeling that glowing thing off so she can see its alien body. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> there's there's another one still in the robe standing next to it, and he goes, put your clothes back on. <laughs> and the other alien says, I'm comfortable with who I am. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel that this movie is obviously highly inspired by Evil Dead. So much so, there's like there's one moment where you can you can hear a zombie say "Join us." Yes. Yeah. And then and even the zombie makeups are very similar with like those whiteout contact lenses and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one shot in particular that really dawned on me of the influence Evil Dead had on this movie. Would you say it dead by dawned on you? Yes. Nah. <laughs> um. It's when it's after the uh, the cop falls off the wall and the the uh, the female cop the constable is is like leaning over the dead body and she's turning into a zombie and um, her head turns and she's zombified and it does like this kind of like shaky cam uh, as soon as her head turns they shoot a bunch of light right at her and it that's a shot that's straight out of Evil Dead. To do the exact same shot in Evil Dead when um, when Cheryl uh, first turns into and turns into a deadite and she's you know they're they're playing the card game and she's like Ace of Spades Seven of Spades blah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> did everybody get a chance to talk about this one? No, we were just still kind of describing it. Oh okay. Yeah. So then, thoughts? I just thought it was bonkers. Yeah. That's why I like it. This is bonkers. My only real complaint is I just thought it started kind of clunky. You know, like, just in the middle, like in the middle of a sentence kind of thing. Okay. And, and yeah, it introduces all the characters without actually introducing them. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. And just is kind of spluttery until they all get together, and then it... You know, then it kind of starts firing on all cylinders. It's a very strangely put together movie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, awesome. Everything you said, it's it's great that it's not just a zombie movie, and it really makes it cool. And yeah, the the hillbilly guy is really awesome. I know it's Mike's favorite guy. And yeah, he's my favorite guy. <laughs> yeah, I love that he just keeps pulling guns out of places <laughs> and is really good with them yep <laughs> even well, he... like after he was buck naked <laughs> oh yeah so funny <laughs> oh that's awesome but jason what was your favorite character though oh blanking what the cop the foul oh cop. yeah fuck yeah the guy that says that his curses more curse words than real words Oh man, I'll just. What'd you say about him the other day? Something about like every sentence out of his mouth. 
was like just grew in intensity or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember. But he was definitely my favorite. He just he just got so wound up. Yeah. So <laughs> I just love it. Is he's so angry? He just talks so fast, and it's all curse words and. Oh my god, I love it. It's the funniest damn thing. (laughs) Terry, what'd you think of the movie? Oh, I talked about it a bit. I mean, I thought it was fun. um, But, and the alien stuff was interesting. It was nice having a bit of a different backstory and whatnot. But, I mean, it was... It was good and it was fun. I had fun with it, but there were definitely some issues. It wasn't perfect by any means. Okay. Uh, Ted, what about you? Uh, well, I, I do like that they were ambitious and made a movie like, like uh, I've seen this poster on websites and every streaming service, and it's it's sort of like I don't know if I. It just sort of has an iconic image of the, you know, the person with the gas mask and stuff. I'd never watched it. And uh, finally got around to watching it. And I don't know. Like I said, I really do appreciate the ambition of the crazy story. Uh, It was a little clunky and a little um, rough around the edges. Like I said, the the score was very distracting to me. I didn't get, like, a 50s feel out of it. I got, like, a, I don't know, like... (laughs) not even a guy with a Casio keyboard out of it. It felt like it was a stock score from like a kid's movie or like cartoon or something. It felt like, I don't know. It was, it was um, like a comedy score from the nineties or something. And that, <laughs> I don't know I, the whole time. I'm like, this would actually be like, there's some funny stuff happening here, but the score is it's trying to tell me it's funny and it doesn't need to tell me it's funny. It's just funny, you know? Gotcha. And, uh, it is just a little too cartoony. The score was too for me, but it it didn't ruin the movie for me. I did I did like it. Uh, I liked everything on this list, but I I did like this movie. It was pretty bonkers, and um, Nikki was coming in and out of the room while I was watching this, doing a few things. And every time she came in, there was something really fucking weird on the screen. So, <laughs> she, and she's always like, "Another podcast movie?" I'm like, "Of course." <laughs> 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 Be caught watching these movies. Oh yeah, no, it's it's funny because she'll be like, uh, "I'm like, you want to watch a movie or something?" She's like, Depends. "What are we gonna watch? A podcast movie?" I'm like, "Uh, yes." She's like, "Then no." Okay. <laughs> I'm like, "You're just catching the bad ones." I promise there's a good one or two. She would have probably really enjoyed Road Game, so I, you know, but she had to come in during this one. Yeah, because at but, least Road Games doesn't have Drew Barrymore in it, so you're good. right. Yeah. And she she would have liked it. She she has good taste. It's just like when you come into this, especially this movie, when you come in with um without knowing anything about it, you're just catching stuff out of context. It can either be, you know, depends on your taste. You can probably either go, oh my god, what is this? I want to see it. Or what the hell are you watching? This looks horrible. <laughs> yeah. But I can appreciate what a movie tries to do something big with not much and you know they they didn't do it's not perfect but they they did good enough yeah yeah brian did you get to say everything you wanted to say about it 
Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I also love the hillbilly guy. The scene where he <laughs> flips upside down and plants oh. his spurs into the wall. <laughs> oh, that's realistic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the things I remembered from the first time I watched it 15 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I was excited to see that again because I, and I'm like, he, he makes it. Like, because I remember watching the first time watching this going, oh my God, he bites it. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks because he's the best character. Yeah. And then watching it again, I for I had completely forgot how the movie ended. So yeah, it was fun revisiting. And just to derail for a brief moment here, you want to see a movie whose ambition really outstrips its budget. There's a flick called Despiser that came out around the same time. It was probably made for about a eighth of the money this one was, mm. but has a hundred times crazier plot. An alien crash lands on Earth, and it's like this big, super badass warlord alien. But its ship crashes and it dies. And as it turns out in the story of the movie, uh, whatever planet you die on, you are beholden to that planet's spiritual rules. And so it winds up going to hell because it's an evil alien, right? Okay. And it it is not happy about this, and so it begins to take over demons. Uh, you know, bring them into its service and send them out into the real world to steal nuclear weapons because it's going to blast its way out of hell <laughs> to get back into the stars. And again, if you think the score and the CGI in this look cheap, you ain't seen nothing yet. But <laughs> by God, they were not scared to try in the ideas they put out in that movie. And it's fucking crazy and awesome. And I it, love it. What's it called again? Despiser. Cool, I'll have to check that out. And you were saying something about um, you were comparing it to Plan 9, but sort of uh, going the opposite way. I thought so, too, where uh, it, like Plan Nine's so bad it's good, where this one's just so bad it's bad. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, did not see re- I did not see many parallels between the two, um, other than... A filmmaker has a absolutely crazy idea and uh, doesn't have enough money to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I really like the cloud effects because that's like one of the easiest effects to pull off, and it always looks really cool. Those those clouds of oh yeah, that white white smoke that are like boiling out of the wall and the, that abduct people and stuff like that. That just looks neat. How, how did you, they do even that? Even though it's so... Huh? Do they do that like the old school style with the fish tank and... I think so, yeah. And, that definitely did not look CGI. It, it looked badly composited, but I'm pretty sure that was like white paint dumped into a fish tank and filmed upside down or something like that. So I'm a little bummed to see that uh, the filmography of these brothers who made the movie... I'm not going to attempt to pronounce their last name. <laughs> but uh, they haven't done a whole lot. They've directed like six films, written five. And one of them's a short film. But they did Daybreakers. I didn't know that. Really? The Ethan yeah. Hawke one? I guess. Newer From one? 2009? Yeah. And that kind of flopped. So that was... What was their most recent credit? This like, is did good. they do anything... Oh, this is gonna this is gonna shock you. This because these 
these last two directing credits shocked me. Um, they did Winchester. Whoa. Directed Winchester and wrote Winchester. And Winchester. Jigsaw, right? Wait, you're talking about the that really like the last that came out this year that Blumhouse movie about oh. the haunted mansion? Yep. Mm-hmm. No shit. Yeah. And Jigsaw, Jigsaw, right? And Jigsaw was the other one. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of was trying to uh, avoid saying avoid that. Avoid saying that. Yeah. But they didn't write Jigsaw. They just directed directed that one. Well, that would make that actually really makes sense as to why there were so many Australian actors in Winchester then, mm, because okay. you've got um, Angus. Fuck, I'm drawing a blank on his last name. The guy who's in all the Insidious movies, and he's the organic mechanic Samson in Mad Max. Like Angus that. Samson. There you go. Yes, yes, that's right. And then the older Butler in Winchester is the gyrocopter pilot from uh, Road Warrior. Who also plays the mouth of Sauron? If you've seen the uh, director's cut of Return of the King, oh yeah. So that okay. that makes sense why there's so many fucking Australian people in that movie then. So how was Winchester? Because I'm. It's not bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it. I I'm not the biggest fan of of that type of ghost movie. Yeah. So so coming from me saying like yeah this is okay if you just want a jump scare movie that's like a high recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was excited when I first heard about it. When I saw the trailer, I'm like, "Oh, they just turned it into another ghost movie." Because the concept, of, I could, I could watch a feature length movie just about her building this wacky house, you know? Yeah, and I, and I wish there'd been a little more about that. Yeah, that that was not the main drive in the movie. But you know what? That's cool that these guys are. You know, even if. And I haven't seen. I've only seen the first two Saw movies, and I fucking hated both of them. So I have no time for the rest of that franchise. But I would assume Jigsaw made money, and yeah. I think Winchester made money. So you know what? I'm glad that these guys are still working and that they're doing some stuff that they've got success with. You know, good on well, them. And and kind of a comeback, really, because those two movies are back to back. You know, Jigsaw was 2017, Winchester's this year, and. And there's only one, two, there's only four other films that they've done dating all the way back to 2000, so 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 a pretty sparse career up until the last couple of years. So that's cool. And Jigsaw is the only one of all the films that they've made that they've made as directors that they didn't write. Like everything else, this one, um, yeah, yeah. And the first one they did was just a short film before they did Undead, called The Big Picture, but... And I can see you not being able to be quite as bonkers in a in a major American studio release movie as they were with Undead. Like, I'm sure they had some producers looking over their shoulder. Like, sure. Knowing, knowing that that was them now, I bet the original version of Winchester was way crazier. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody at Blumhouse is like, look, guys, we're not going to be able to sell tickets to this if you do that. you got to settle down. Well, I wonder, too, if Undead was just a chance to like throw everything in the kitchen sink, you know? Like, hey, we're just going to do this. This may be our one chance. We're just going to go balls out. That'd be my that'd be my yeah. guess because you know Daybreakers wasn't super crazy either though so and then if you go back and look at Peter Jackson like you know Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles and Dead Alive are 
freaking crazy ass movies and it's nothing compared to what he does nowadays so or what he's done for the rest of his career so so yeah I thought that was interesting when I saw that they did Winchester and Jigsaw so but uh is that it does everybody it. get their two cents in on Undead boy cool how about some uh how about some honorable mentions how about some films that we didn't have on the master list. I watched this everyone. One. Oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> nope, nope, you first. I watched this one. I I don't know why I watched it, but I watched a bunch of things. I was flipping through, and yeah, I'm proud of you. You watched extra. Yeah, I did extra credit, Tad. <laughs> <laughs> Just shush. He gives me shit and tweets. It's anyway. Um. But I watched it because I thought you would like it. You and Brian might like it. Anyway. Brian's probably already seen it. Yeah, I'm sure he's got the DVD. But I watched uh, the 1993 Body Melt. Yeah, I just watched that not too long ago on Shudder, actually. I told you. I know, I need to watch it. And it almost made the list, but... Yeah. It didn't. It's fucked. (laughs) But, like... (laughs) I mean, it's super simple, you know. It's just... uh, It's... There's this community and their unknowingly test experiments going on. And it's written, directed, Philip Brophy. That's all I know. It's crazy. The effects and stuff are really kick-ass and fun, though. But stories... Yeah, I've I've seen pictures and and shots and stuff. It does look like it's a... uh, It's a special... It's a makeup effects extravaganza... Yeah. Kind of, I mean, so, like, so that's it? Then there's just crazy experiments going on and people melt? Or what the fuck? Yep. Okay. Kind of has, like, a feel, has a, kind of feels like it has a little bit of a Cronenberg hint to it, or, uh... uh not, not that much no. artistry to it. No. <laughs> it, it, okay. It, it's more of, like, because it's some kind of, like, get fit dietary supplement isn't it yeah that they're pushing this as and it makes people melt so a little I more street it, trash I it was a little disjointed yeah it's 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 clunky too but you know it's definitely i don't know it's weird it's also weird because it i feel like it wants to be an 80s movie but it's clearly made in the 90s so it's I don't know how to say that, but I don't know. It's I I like the effects. The story was it was okay. I think you you'll like it though. Bet it would. Kind of sounds like uh, maybe along the lines more of like street trash or society street, or something. Street trash is way more bonkers than this. Oh really? Yeah. Hmm. I do love me some street trash. How could you not? I know, right? It is, to my knowledge, the only movie where people play keep away with a dick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, the director of Body Melt also directed a film called Salt, Saliva, Sperm, and, S- and Sweat. So there you go. Now I do have to see this movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, and that's not the only Australian film. That you've watched recently too. You got no. a little bit of an Aussie I, kick. I also watched 
BMX Bandits twice. <laughs> twice this week. Yes. No. I mean, yes. No, I mean, I didn't. I didn't pick it the second time. Justin did, and we just ended up watching it. So Mike got to see it, but I had watched it on my own like two days before that. I liked it. I thought it was fun. I loved it. Oh yeah, honest. it's totally fun. Eighties. The two fucking boys in that are hilarious. I could just watch them all day. So funny to me. It's like seventy five percent a chase movie though. Right. It's like one giant long chase scene. Yep, and then the bad Fran- guys are incompetent as fuck and but you know, all the kids rally on the bikes at the end and all they're going down the hills and oh man, it's so good. All the neon colors. <laughs> Yeah, that was the thing. They're like hiding from these guys, but they're wearing their BMX outfits the whole time. Yeah. So it's like neon yellow and orange. Like, yeah, you guys aren't uh, doing too well at hiding from these and bad Nicole guys. Nicole Kidman and so young and oh, she's her a baby hair's so in this poofy movie. and it's 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 good. I liked it both times. <laughs> I watched it this week. All right, who else? Oh. Everyone needs to see Long Weekend. It is one of the weirdest Nature Strikes Back movies. Again, written by Everett DeRoche. It's about this couple who are, you know, their their marriage is on the verge of collapse, and they decide they're going to take a long weekend and go camping. But they're both fucking horrible people. And they just, you know, they, they're they creatures of the city, and they can't get by out in nature. So the guy is just obsessed with going around setting fires and cutting down trees and shooting birds for no reason, and he's just a piece of shit. And the woman is just shrill and unbearable. <laughs> and basically nature goes, we fucking had it with these two. Let's get them. <laughs> <laughs> and so birds and ants and just every creature of the outback that you can imagine you know retaliates against them even just existing like it's it's not you know it's a very personal nature strikes back movie typically there's you know a, a chemical spill or some kind of environmental travesty that makes the animals strike back at large and there's some stuff on the radio that hints that this is going on everywhere but the only time we see it is these two people, you know, it's very isolated, uh, very minimalist filmmaking, but it's creepy and atmospheric and just fantastic. So, yeah, everyone needs to see The Long Weekend. Cool. Where is that streaming anywhere, do you know? Uh, Severin put it out on Blu-ray, okay. and that's how I've seen it. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I don't think so. Because I've... Yeah, I've never seen it, but it sounds awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you enjoyed Patrick, and you know, obviously everyone loved road games, it's in that vein of just super smart horror. Check it out. It, it's worth purchasing. I mean, I think the Blu-ray is like twenty bucks, and I I've watched it several times, and I definitely have got my money's worth out of it. 
And as I watch Jason try to find it on, on IMDb, I should mention that it's from uh, the movie's originally from 1978 because there's like four or five long weekends uh, yeah. <laughs> titles on IMDb. So from 1978, yep. long weekend. This one uh, written by Alfred Jarosz, but what this time it was not directed by Richard Franklin. It was directed by Colin Eggleston. Okay. Cool, cool. Uh, Terry, what about you? Um, the only one that really came to mind off the top of my head was one called The Clinic, which I watched quite a while back, but I enjoyed it. I think you've it talked about it on the show before, haven't you? It sounds familiar. Uh, I've mentioned it, maybe. What's um, it? It's like, you know, they're in the outback and there's like this weird hospital where they like farm people's babies. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's newer. It was 2000 something. I don't know when, but I remember enjoying it when I watched it. Awesome. Tad, what about you? Um, I didn't watch any extra credit movies, but the ones that always come to my mind are typical. Um, Baba Duke and The Loved Ones are both two movies I love, oh. especially The Loved Ones. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm guessing we're going to have a lot of those uh, people listing those from our listeners as their favorites. So I, we, I'm sure this has been talked about to death on the podcast before I joined, and yeah. I won't go too far into them, but uh i love both these movies so yeah i so thought about putting loved ones on the list mostly because i want to revisit it because i do love this movie but yeah i know we've talked about it a lot in years past on the show so i I like rogue too oh yeah i forgot about that one that's a fantastic movie now is that like a killer crocodile movie i mean what's what what's real yeah yes okay yeah that's you, you pretty much nailed it yep Okay. But it's huge. It's like a gigantic motherfucker. It's like Jaws, but with a crocodile, so... Yeah, it's a saltwater croc, so it's fucking massive. It's like 20-some feet long. Sweet. But yeah, I mean, there's not much more to it than that. It's it's just an animal attack movie, but it's a really good one, because it was made by the guy who made Wolf Creek. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, so it's fairly more recent, so then I have to ask, is the crocodile practical or CGI? There's some of both. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And speaking of Wolf Creek, I also want to give a shout-out to the Wolf Creek TV series, which is now streaming on Shudder. Yes, yes. I, I, I rented the first disc of it from the video store and was going to go back for the second and then saw it was on Shudder. like, oh, good, I'll save my dollar and just watch it on here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's more of a police procedural than it is like a capture and torture movie like the two uh, Wolf Creek movies are. Yeah. Where it's this girl is on vacation, this American girl is on vacation with her family, and Mick kills her family, but she manages to escape, and then makes it her mission to track him down. So it's you know her uh, trekking across the outback, meeting all kinds of crazy, weird Australian outback rural characters. In, on her way to the final showdown of Mick, and it's it's really really good. Awesome. Okay. Well, for me, two of them that I had on my list that haven't been mentioned yet. Um, one of which is a uh, hundred bloody acres, and I know we've talked about it on the show before, but oh, that movie! 
is hilarious. I love it so much. Um, and then another one from 1982. I briefly mentioned it earlier, but uh, Turkey Shoot. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> love that movie. Love it. It's great. And, you know, it. to me, when I think of Ozploitation, I Turkey Shoot comes is one of the first ones that come to my mind. Um, uh, so basically it's like these, these people are being held at this rehabilitation center or whatever prison type thing. And then they are set out to, um, play like these deadly games to survive, basically hunting each other down kind of thing. So it's, it's bonkers. It's crazy. And it's got an interesting cast. Like Steve rails back is in it. Awesome. And Olivia Hussey. Um, which I don't care if it's a body double or not. I'm going to pretend that it's not in the shower scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because she is purdy. But, uh, yeah, that movie's awesome. Well, speaking of... It's it's kind of a riff on the most dangerous game. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that one didn't jumped to my mind because it's more of like a dystopian science fiction movie yeah i know but, I, I know it's kind of stretching it a little bit but when, when but i was there's some stuff like there's a monster guy in it for no reason like yeah. like one of the wardens has a pet wolf man oh yeah that's true <laughs> and they that's don't right. fucking explain it <laughs> yeah and but every time i pull up a list of like australian horror films it still showed up on lists so i'm counting it so it's pretty gory i mean I, oh I would, yeah other than the undead, I would say it's probably gorier than any of the movies on the list tonight. Because the Wolfman gets bisected with a fucking bulldozer. <laughs> Isn't there a sweet ass head explosion in there too? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's just it to me. It's just bizarre. The fact you know, Olivia Hussey, her first film being Romeo and Juliet, and then she's in this like exploitation, nutty film, Turkey Shoot. It's crazy. And that's really, like, there's there's kind of two schools of, from that era, from, like, the 70s and 80s, the, the original wave of exploitation. There's the more thoughtful, artistic movies, like, you know, your Road Games, your Long Weekend, your Patrick. And then there's the stuff that Brian Trenchard Smith made, which he did that, he did Dead End Drive-In, he did Stunt Rock, and the just the crazy balls-to-the-wall action movies were kind of his forte. And so, yeah, in anything Brian Trenchard Smith made is just phenomenal. That dude had an eye for explosions and car wrecks. <laughs> Was it also known under the title Escape 2000? Yes. I did not know that. I remember seeing that this. That was like the edited American version of missing all the gore and stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, released by Embassy Entertainment. I remember this, uh, I'm looking at the poster for the Escape 2000. I remember this box in the video store. I had never... Never put the two together. That was the same movie, because I I never rented it, and I never saw tur- Turkey Shoot till like you know just a few years ago. So, and it was one of those that I've always heard about too that I needed to see. But uh, there's another poster here. It's got a great little tagline in it: uh, Turkey Shoot, no film for chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Was it also known as Blood Camp Thatcher? I found another video box called Blood Camp Thatcher. The that f- hell. I mean, that makes sense because you know it's a 
detainment camp and there's blood and yeah. margaret thatcher would have been a easy target political figure at the time so probably <laughs> yeah cool all right so that's it man that's uh that's australian horror for you um so yeah we're gonna take a quick break when we come back it'll be uh segments time here on the taco killer podcast so don't go anywhere be right back good evening it's intermission time our service is friendly and quick you'll find hot dogs hamburgers pizza your favorite candies hot and cold beverages and other delicious snacks so add to your fun of watching the movie visit our refreshment stand right now we're glad to have you with us tonight we hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. And we're back. Segment's time here on the show, and it's time for everybody's favorites. I know it's mine. Shoutouts! It's time for... Shoutouts! All right, so on Facebook and everywhere we ask, what's your favorite exploitation films? And Facebook says, we hear from Eric J. Peterson. He says, Stone, Man from Hong Kong, Mad Max, Dead End Drive-In, Bikers, Kung Fu Action, End of Society, Revenge, Western, and Sci-Fi Fear of Gen X Flick, and lots and lots of driving. Also, Road Games is awesome. Shout out to the 90s films Kiss or Kill and Two Hands featuring Heath Ledger and Rose Byrne for carrying the torch for crime thriller and of the genre. I don't know if I heard any of those. Up next we got Nightmare Junkhead. Um, and they're the first one they say, I, I wanted to say it earlier, but I'm still on a freaking high from this movie. And I can't wait. BMX Bandits? No! <laughs> Close. <laughs> Razorback. Oh my yeah, god. Yes. God damn, that movie's awesome. Mm-hmm. Are we getting a disc finally? Is that one is that one of the ones? No, sadly. That's like oh. of all the movies that have been slated for Blu-ray release since we talked about them, that's like the one that hasn't been. And let it be said again. It needs it. Yes. One one of my favorite movies of all time, and I still don't have a decent copy. Of it. You know, there wasn't a DVD or Blu-ray slated, but there was some sort of article about it. Oh, is that what it was? That's, That's right, yeah. Something right after we were talking about it. <laughs> and they also say Patrick and anything from Brian Trenchard Smith. And don't forget to check out uh, Nightmare Junkhead's uh, latest In the March of Madness series. We got to be on one of their episodes. That's right. 1990. Eight, was yeah, it? something like that. Did you see yeah. who? Did you see who won at all? We'll go to their page and look. Anyway, they're great guys. Up next, we got Don and Nelly. He says, "Dark Age, Mad Max One and Two, and The Wicked, and Nightmaster." No, Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> He's had enough of it, too. We don't need another hero. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm glad they're singing, though, on the episode. Yep, you're welcome. Up next, we got uh, a bunch of letters. Uh, Mike, I'll let you pronounce this one. 
You son of a... What? Where is it? That one? Peter <laughs> Stratuskus <laughs> Winston Sinski. There's even an E in the Peter. What? Anyway. Piot or whatever. I'm sorry, my friend. We're bad. But that person says... Mad Max 1 slash 2. <laughs> and Long Weekend. Yes. Razorback was cool too. No more I beyond think you mean the coolest. Oh. Right. <laughs> that that is what he meant. <laughs> he just spelled it wrong. And then uh lastly on Facebook, we got Benjamin Chi. He says fair game. The one with Cassandra Delaney, not Naomi Watts. And over on Twitter. Oh yeah. Oh, that is a neat movie. There's a really cool, uh, like, kit-bashed, crazy outback vehicle in that. Hmm. That's cool. And then uh, Twitter, we didn't have anybody um, on there this time, but you can always leave replies on Twitter and Facebook, and you can also call in and leave a voicemail at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Uh, leave your comments in the voicemail and we'll play it on the show. And that's shoutouts. Up next, we got everybody's favorite road game. I don't know. <laughs> and Saints Picks! <laughs> Hey everybody, it is time for Insane's Picks, and this episode, I uh, I remember seeing this film on the shelves at Walmart back in the day, on the bottom row where they keep all the cheap horror films that are usually just rip-offs of another movies, thank you Asylum, or the latest CGI giant shark movie, so I passed it over as it looked like it was just another film cashing in on the fact that Night of Living Dead is a public domain title. So, years later, here not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, I found it at a pawn shop for a buck. Uh, so I figure, you know, what the hell, I'll try it. Uh, turns out, uh, it was uh, definitely way better than I thought it would be. In the movie, it's from 2011, it's called Memesis, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, directed by Douglas Schulz. Uh, what, on the surface, it looks like just another Night of Living Dead reboot um, that was probably garbage. Uh, you know, it even has Sid Haig in it, and Sid Haig was in that horrible Night of Living Dead 3D. So right away, I'm like, uh, this is going to suck. Uh, but it turned out to be something new and original, something I wasn't expecting at all. So how the story goes is a group of horror fans are at this horror convention, and they all go to this party after hours. And the party seems a little weird. Something seems quite off. Uh, but no mind. Everybody's drinking and having a good time. Cut to the next day when these people wake up. And they find themselves dressed in 60s clothes. And placed in areas that seem rather familiar. Uh, the nerdy guy and the blonde girl find themselves in the middle of a cemetery. Just as Johnny and Barbara. Uh, the black guy wakes up in a pickup truck just outside of the uh, excluded, uh, secluded farmhouse. And then there are five other characters that wake up in the basement of the farmhouse. So it is soon revealed that uh, um, these 
these people are being forced to play out Night of Living Dead for some reason. Is it a supernatural thing? What's really going on here? So, right away, as soon as that revealed itself, I was hooked. I was in. Like, what a great original concept. Especially if you're trying to cash in on the Night of Living Dead title. How a better way to do that than, like, go completely um, meta with it. So, I'm hooked and I want to see how this plays out. Um, the unwilling participants are in a... So, basically, what it turns out to be is that these unwilling participants are in a nightmarish role-playing game uh, that pays homage to a classic horror film. The locals that put on the the after-hours party basically kidnap these people and force them to play out Night of Living Dead while they attack the farmhouse dressed as zombies and to for their next big ultimate horror-themed attraction. Uh, these guys are pretty proud of the fact they always put on an amazing haunted house every year and they want to take it to the next level by putting their participants in a horror movie and straight up in a life and death situation. So I like this movie, but I definitely like it more for the concept than the execution. Uh, the acting is not the best. Um, it's definitely low budget. Uh, the horror convention scenes are super shoddy at best. It does not have a theme to a, a feel of a horror convention to it at all. Basically you get a group of like 20, 30 people in like a high school lunchroom uh, where everybody's sitting down and eating, and that's your big uh, horror convention scene. Um, like, they do a better job in chasing Amy <laughs> by doing a fake uh, convention in that. And even that looks like a pretty low-budget low, low budget, uh, Comic-Con compared, you know. Uh, this was not even close to that. So, <clears throat> so... You know, it's definitely a bummer. Uh, I think they do a pretty good job recreating, like, the looks of the original Night of Living Dead characters and casting people that kind of also have that look. You know, the guy play the, the guy who's dressed as um, uh, Harry Cooper. You know, he's a bald guy, a father, and he's there with his wife um, and his young daughter. Uh, you know, so I think, like, the outfits look really good, and they got people that look good in the roles uh the farmhouse is 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 pretty good um so a lot of the a lot of the areas look look pretty darn close pretty good especially for a low budget movie to the original living dead trying to recreate that um some of the dialogue though is, is kind of crappy uh, it probably could have used another rewrite here or there one of the things that bothered me is that there's a moment in the film where there's exposition about Night Living Dead, because one of the, because one of the one of the characters in the movie has to explain what Night Living Dead is to these other so-called horror fans. Like really, like they don't know what Night Living Dead is. Even one of them asks at one point, "How does Night Living Dead end?" Like most people know how Night Living Dead ends, let alone actual horror fans. It's kind of one of the biggest deals about the movie. That's right. Everybody dies. Oh, spoiler. Sorry. So yeah. So. So it's a bummer, because I, I like the concept a lot. It kind of falls flat on some of it, but I still think it's definitely worth more of a watch than than um, when you first glance at it sitting on the video store shelves. So uh, I would recommend checking it out at least once. 
Uh, it's called Nemesis Night of Living Dead from 2011. You might spell that, because it sounds like Nemesis. It's with an M. M-I-M-E-S-I-S. Mimis, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so that's Insane's Picks. Love it. I was, I was excited that you were excited about watching Night Living Dead again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always excited about yep. watching Night Living Dead. I think what you mean to say, I was excited <laughs> about watching another... Somebody else Somebody else released, cashing uh, in on Night yeah. Living Dead. Because, yeah, I avoided this like the plague originally because I saw it was another Night Living Dead with Sid Haig again. Now, I love Sid Haig. Yeah. But that Night Living Dead 3D is a big piece of pile of steaming shit. And it had <laughs> Sid Haig in it. So, so I mistakenly made the connection. Sid Haig's not in it that much. He's only got a couple small scenes. Um, and it's also got Courtney Gaines in it, which was cool, too. Awesome. Um, from children, Malachi from Children of the Corn, so... So yeah, but uh, that's it, man. That wraps up this episode. We've gone down under. We have. That's right. And now my toilets, when I flush, they go the other way. It's yep. weird. So. Meaning it sprays the poo back at you. Yes. Yeah, is that not normal? <laughs> <laughs> Spray. Why did you say? Sp- okay. <laughs> I guess. All right, so that's it. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, don't forget to uh, join us if you live in live in Iowa or nearby uh, to join us for our live show. Join us on April twenty first at the Capes Cafe in Des Moines, Iowa, from six to eight p.m. It's a free show, so check it out. Like, you get what you pay for. Like Tad, yeah. like, like Tad would also say, is that it's a it's a podcast you can't pause or skip through. Uh, and then also, don't forget to visit our Patreon. Check out our perks. We just keep adding more and more content. Oh yeah, um, there's new perk. This a new reward. Yeah, it's been uh, in the three dollars. You get a an insane mic minute. Yes. So, if anything, it's really fun to watch him talk fast. He does a video it's every exhausting. week. Exhausting. And it's kind of, he's doing his Pop top tens lesson. right now of things and get more videos, more weekly videos. That's right. So check it out at patreon.com backslash AOTKP. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again soon on the next full episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Good day. Oh no, could this be the end of? <laughs> Wow. Tag up.